0: in the nation's capital. A new leader has found a place in the halls of power. But her story began in the halls of high school We'll
1: move on now to the presidential race with three candidates running. The first
2: is Tracy Blake.
3: One thing that's important to know about me is that I'm an only child. My mom is really devoted to me. She likes to write letters to successful women like Elizabeth Dole and Connie Chung and ask them what advice do they have for me, Tracy, her daughter. I do not often speak with you and ask for things, but now I really must insist that you help me win the election tomorrow, because I deserve it and Paul Musler doesn't, as you well know.
4: When I win the presidency, that means you and I are going to be spending a lot of time together. <laughs> Cast your vote for Tracy Fleck next week. You won't just be voting for me.
3: You'll be voting for yourself.
1: Who knew how high she would climb in life? I had to stop her.
3: Excuse me! Will you please be quiet?
1: Now.
5: My fellow Americans, it is on. We're going to get underway here in just a shorter... We're actually going to, uh, going to kick up the news here and get into the news. Uh, it's not even going to be the new news hour. We're just going to have a supplemental news segment, an additional news segment. One segment more than you might be used to. Uh, coming up here in just a few minutes. Uh, it is 5 minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11, and it's the month of September. In the year of our Lord, 2008, thank you for coming along making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed, yet not only really ostentatious studios of AM970, the talker this, my friends is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Uh, an excursion into whimsy, amusements, ridicule, satire, parody, all things good and terrible. It's uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. You uh, want to join us today, as some folks have already uh, apparently decided to do. Uh, so we'll get to our calls as they come in today. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. You want to join up with your uh, comments, questions, clarifications, kvitches, kibiches, two cents, a recipe for rugula. Uh, whatever you might have. Rugula, a little rolled thing. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. 733 You can email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Uh, Tim at 970.am. Sarah with an H at 970.am. Or uh, Richie with a T at 970.am. Uh, Richie Bristol is standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along any of your observations Today. All right, so thank you for coming by. All right. Well, then, what shall we talk about? Uh, Let me just, before we do anything else, I will say that coming up later on today from uh, Minneapolis. We'll be talking to CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins, who was uh, on the scene last night, is on the scene and in the house this morning. Uh, I guess there's somebody else talking tonight, but nobody really cares at this point. Uh, So we'll talk to Lisa Desjardins, get her thoughts on last night. CNN Radio correspondent Dick Ulliano will join us from The Hill today. Uh, we'll talk to senior Radio correspondent Steve Castamount. There is actually other news going on. Here's something that we would be paying a lot more attention to uh, if it were not for all the presidential race and the baby-making and the hey-hey. Because uh, I guess that Detroit mayor is going to have to step down or he's resigning. Oh, yeah.
4: Jesus. Not that anybody else would want that job. No, but i got to tell
5: you, um, you know, our friend Lowe, who is from Detroit, He's been sending me... I guess there's a brisk business being done in T-shirts with that guy's face on them in, in Detroit. Like all kind of like hilarious Detroit mayor uh, shirts. Uh, so he sent me some of those. So it's just... Man, it's a whole weird thing. I mean, it, it, right now, it, it's like, what's her name who died in the same day as uh, Princess Diana? Oh, uh... Who's that woman who died in the same day as Princess Diana?
4: Then ironically, been none of us can remember. The nun, uh, Sister... Uh, um, but... I can't remember her name. Something? Killed the four.
5: It wasn't Mother Teresa, was it? Yes, it was. Oh. Yeah. All right, well, see, there you go. So, I mean, so Mother Teresa is to Princess Diana as this mayor in Detroit is to, uh, you know, Sarah Palin, John McCain, convention, blah, 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 election, mahogany, hey, hey. So, all right. So Lisa Desjardins, Dick Giuliano, Steve Kastenbaum, uh, uh, today's top five. We'll reach back into the annals of time. Uh, We'll go back to the week that Geraldine Ferraro was nominated for the vice presidency, uh, the first woman to have done so. Uh, We'll get the uh, top five songs from that week, July 19th, 1984. Coming up later on. Top five from, uh, that was the week of the Democratic National Convention that year. Uh, Top five from July 19th, 1984. Jesus, what else? Uh, Dorothy Carcassari for the National Enquirer. Those guys have had quite a month.
4: Yes, they have, and it's going
5: to get even better. Brother. Oh, yes. Uh, so I already I, I saw that thing that uh, you that you were talking about, with the Enquirer. So we'll, Tim Riley, will get to that here in a moment. So my thoughts to Dorothy uh, Carceseri for the National Enquirer later on today. Uh, Geek Watch. I pulled a snuff watch, but I think I forgot to b- get it off the printer, so I'll find that later on. There's a snuff watch in the world of entertainment. Uh, let's see, birth of a salesman. Uh, we'll talk to our latest entrant today. Uh, it is a high-concept Thursday. I'm going tell you right now, we might not get to that, but we're going to try. Uh, glorious Bastard of the Week. And don't forget, one random on-air caller this week, uh, or rather each day this week, uh, scores himself a copy of The Bodyguard and The Bodyguard 2 double-feature DVD. The Bodyguard and The Bodyguard 2 uh, starring Tony Ja on DVD. In stores now separately, there's a double-feature from Magnolia. Home entertainment. One random on-air caller today. And last but not least, this all of this. I mean, and I hate to keep using this phrase because it seems so inappropriate this week, but there's always just this perfect storm of all this stuff happening. So we're giving away another pair of tickets to see Dennis Miller live at Spirit Mountain Casino. Yesterday, we did the reverse punchline. I gave you the punchline. You had to create the joke. And by the way, the guy who walked away with those tickets was exceptional. That was a fantastic joke. Uh, today, we're giving you the setup. You give us the punchline. Uh, the setup is the famous unfinished joke from John Hughes' masterpiece, The Breakfast Club. Uh, It is the joke that uh, Judd Nelson, as John Bender, is telling as he's walking through that sort of crawl space, you know, that thing up above, you know, in the rafters. The joke setup is, a naked blonde walks into a bar with a poodle under one arm and a two-foot salami under the other. She lays the poodle on the table. Bartender says, I suppose you won't be needing a drink. The naked lady says, bada bing. There you go. So you got to come up with a punchline to that. Best punchline to that joke by the end of today's show wins we a pair of tickets uh, to see Dennis Miller live at Spirit Mountain Casino next week. <sighs> for the love of God. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification.
4: So we're all riveted to our seats watching the television last night as the new vice president for the Republicans spoke. Uh, Miss Palin's 19-year-old son will join the service on 9-11 the Down Syndrome baby was passed around the room last night, spending most of the time in the loving arms of Cindy McCain. <laughs> <laughs> Ill. A Mitt Romney speech centered on the moneyed East Coast elite. Mm-hmm. Rudy Giuliani fondly remembers 9-11. The crowd goes wild cheering for more war and more offshore oil drilling. It is God's will, Tim. Mm-hmm. And the Clackmas County goes on a four-day work week. Oh
5: Well, there you go. Wait, What?
4: this County goes on a four-day work week.
5: Except for the police, I would imagine. I would imagine, imagine it's so. a Bumper crop of business for them all the time. Fantastic. All right, here in just a few minutes, we will actually go to the Ministry of Truth a little early today and start talking about uh, last night because its uh, it has what they say in the uh, sales department is top-of-mind awareness. It's what people are talking about today. Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Dillon. Hello, how are you today?
6: Hello, I'm doing well. All that nice. speech is, Wow. Ridiculous. I'm reading the transcript of it again right now, and it's just oh my god. The
5: transcript doesn't really give you the. Uh, you just don't get the full punch. Yeah, you, know, I know you that don't have the
6: voice and the inflection and the and the knowing glances to the American public, like I'm one of
5: you. I'm a common person, you know. She does this thing. Here's the thing she's got to quit doing. I mean, one of one of many, I suppose. What saying the word uh, hockey? Uh, I, wait. Oh, I wasn't even prepared for. It. Why do you throw that stuff out when you know that I'm when you know that I'm not necessarily?
3: I'm a hockey mom from Alaska.
5: Yes, she is. Uh, Did you see
6: all the signs with all the... Go-
5: Hockey like, mom. Hockey mom's for Palin. Palin. yeah. Uh, so it, it, here's the thing she's got to quit doing, though, just in terms of, like, the, the delivering speeches. She's got to quit doing that Samantha from Bewitched thing where she juts out her lower jaw and kind of, like, cinches up her nose like she's going to make dishes disappear. And then she kind of goes, ah, and she... So she does a combination of three things. China from the WWE, Samantha from Bewitched, And then Jeannie from I Dream of Jeannie, she puts out her jaw like China, or maybe like a velociraptor, and then she she kind of wrinkles up her nose like Samantha from Bewitched, and then she does the thing of, like, kind of... Like jerking her head forward, like Jeannie from My Dream of Jeannie, and it's every time she wants to underscore like some great point that she thinks she's made. Mm-hmm. She's got to quit doing that. That's like Fred Thompson clearing his throat.
6: I was just taking it how masculine she is. Like she's very, she's a very masculine-looking woman. Yeah,
5: she seems like a.
4: That's the kind of woman they need to survive into the wild. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't,
5: you know, you can't get some girly girl to dress a moose. Uh, That would would be un-Republican-like. Right, exactly. Did
3: you know that she shoots guns?
5: You know what I didn't know is that she...
3: I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. Uh, It's 503
5: 733 Uh, Just a moment, we will go to Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. I just got a couple brief notes to make, and then, believe me when I say I have many, 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 many other notes. I mean, it was...
6: I heard you and Tim already having your geek out session in the kitchen this Dude, morning it at was like, a
5: like 9:58. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, no, is the minute Tim came in this morning came down like I don't want to do things. Do you want everything like that? Just, I mean, it was. And uh, I only say this because it's true. It was a work night, and I don't mean that in the sense that like, look how great Rick Emerson is. Even when he's at home, he's working for the people by writing down observation. I don't mean that. I mean it was work to get through that. I mean it really was. It was just. I mean, there were, there were moments when I felt like I was at the dentist just having a deep cleaning on some sensitive part of my gum line. You know, where I was just sitting there and I'm sort of grinding my teeth away going, all right, keep it together, Emerson. Right, another three hours and it'll be over. Just keep it, you know just meanwhile, I filled up like five pages of notes from last night. Um, all right, so I'm gonna do a brief uh, couple of notes as an overview uh, then we'll go to Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Uh, we might at the end of the segment do a little instapol about Sarah Palin, but I'm not quite sure about it We might do that later on. Uh, first of all, I'm just gonna say from me in terms of if one uh, I have to say that CNN television, in my opinion, is doing the best job of having Some kind of objective reporting of this, because the great thing that CNN does is that CNN gets people who don't hide their party affiliation. In other words, you get like Amy Holmes, who is hot, by the way, uh, who's also a Republican strategist. But then you get like Paul Begala, who's like a Democratic strategist, or James Carville, you know, or Leslie Sanchez. They come on and they'll actually say like, well, as you know, I'm a Republican strategist, but... And then they sort of lay out, though, the nuts and bolts of how they think it's working. Not unlike sort of, you know, be, be a little bit like John Madden analyzing Raiders defense, you know, these days. I mean, obviously, you know, he's got a bias towards the Raiders, but John Madden tries to give you this sort of unbiased look at how the NFL is doing. And CNN does a great job of that. But um, so from from that vantage point, looking at it, removing myself from any sort of in trying to get over my disdain for the phrase. I'm a high-
3: from Alaska.
5: Looking at the last night, I'm saying I give her a solid eight out of ten. I mean, I really do. I, you know, no one ever gets a ten out of ten unless your last name is Reagan or Clinton. Mm-hmm. I mean, a ten out of ten is almost impossible to get. Ten out of ten is like that's the the torch has been passed to a new generation. That's a ten out of ten. So almost no one is going to get, you know, nine, and really, virtually, no one ever gets a ten out of ten. Last night, in terms of doing what she had to do uh, for the speech, I give Sarah Palin uh, an eight out of ten my handful of initial notes are these a John McCain is just gonna he's just gonna both suck and blow after that I mean unless he just pulls like some magical rabbit out of a huge hat is no way John McCain is not gonna look like a huge uh, doof after last night because she's just is very energizing very dynamic speaker in many ways and McCain is however smart he may be he's just not a good speaker you know he kinda transposes sentences and words and kinda forgets what he's talking about It seems like he's about half senile a lot of the time Um so McCain's going to have, it. That's a, you know, that's a big overture little show, that's what that is. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Uh, other, two notes, uh, two more notes, and, and then we'll go to Tim. First of all, how long was that opening applause for her last night? I mean, it must have been, it must have been three minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I, I watched it
6: on YouTube, it went on for three minutes. Was right? it three minutes? Mm-hmm.
5: I mean, I was sitting there, and, you know, and he's applauding, and I'm looking at my watch, and... It felt like I'd fallen into some weird wormhole and time was slowing down. i looking at my watch again and going to get in a snack. using the bathroom, going to pick up my laundry, come back. Applause still happening. It was, it was insane. I felt like that Bugs Bunny cartoon where he's like, he's doing the opera and he's holding up the glove for the, you know, for the crowd to applaud. And then, like, he just takes his hand out of the glove and walks off stage and gets a sandwich and comes back and the crowd is still applauding. I mean, that's really what it was like last night. And then you realize that they're applauding, like, for no reason, for nothing. They're applauding for her mere existence last night. Um, And then final moment, a final note that I wrote down last night, which is, more than anything, uh, more than any of her ideology, more than anything she said or didn't say last night, the overwhelming sense you get off Sarah Palin last night is that, for better or worse, this is a woman who sees her shot. I mean, really. She sees the star to which she's going to hitch her wagon. Uh, And so I think... uh, I think somebody is adept at spotting a possible avenue out of their hick town, Uh, and they are going to grab onto it, and they are going to hold on to that little uh, rescue chopper called John McCain uh, until they are out of Saigon. I mean, that's the thing. Somebody Absolutely. sees a way out of Alaska, and they are going to dig their nails into John McCain, and they are going to do everything they can to get dragged out of that backwater burg that she, she's from. She
6: her town, Rick. She would never want to be
5: dragged out of Whatever. there. Whatever.
6: Whatever. Many generations of Palin grew up there. Uh-huh.
5: Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we now uh, take you to the Ministry of Truth, where your personal Savior resides.
7: And now, no. girl, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim
4: Riley. So the woman who aims to become America's first female vice president is defending her qualifications. Sarah Palin, a small-town mayor, Mm -hmm. took a swipe at Barack Obama over his past work as a community organizer.
3: I guess a small-town mayor is sort of like a community organizer, except that you have actual responsibilities.
5: You know, this is the lesson the Democrats never learned, by the way, which is that... as, as the young people might say, Republicans don't play. I mean, Republicans they they show up to kill you. That's and the Democrats have this whole Democrats have this whole misguided notion that well we're going to win because of the strength of our ideas. Not going to happen. And people are smart. That's that, what the Democrats are wrong. I mean, the Democrats they overestimate the power of their ideas. They overestimate the intelligence of the American public. They underestimate the the, the advantage that a good knee capping of your opponent gives to you. Democrats have this perhaps admirable, but probably just naive idea that if somehow, you know, uh, like a good, got a good, good idea, good notion, good proposal, that that's enough. And it really isn't. And the Republicans long ago learned this lesson. Uh, and to their credit, the Clintons learned this lesson a long time ago. The Republicans win by destroying everybody in their way. And the Democrats don't seem to get that. They just don't.
4: Uh, Sarah Palin has some word for media commentators.
3: I'm not going to Washington to seek their good opinion. I'm going to Washington to serve the people of this great country. Mm-hmm.
8: Meanwhile, John
4: McCain's campaign threatened legal action against the National Enquirer for running a story about McCain's running mate Sarah Palin, allegedly having an affair with their husband's business partner. The smearing of the Palin family must end. The allegations contained on the cover of the National Enquirer insinuating that Governor Palin had an affair are chronologically false, or categorically false. It is a vicious lie, said McCain's senior advisor, Steve Schmidt. The efforts of the media and tabloids to destroy this fine and accomplished public servant are a disgrace. The American people will reject it. Yeah, they won't buy the Enquirer now.
5: No, there's a... And there's a joke there to be made about, uh... You don't want to smear Sarah Palin, but I uh, I don't know where it is, it's just out of my reach.
4: The Enquirer also alleges that Palin unjustly fired a public safety official when she was governor of Alaska, but the story is based entirely on unnamed sources. They also paid sources in the past to speak with them, something uh, the mainstream media does not do.
5: Well, so there's this there's this allegation, I guess, and it's almost like a Nixonian thing, because the, you know the deal with Nixon, the Saturday Night Massacre, is that I can never get this straight in my head that Nixon ordered. Elliot Richardson to fire Archibald Cox or whatever. Anyway, so so, you know, so like Nixon ordered a guy to fire a guy and then when he wouldn't, he fired the guy who wouldn't fire the guy. Blah blah blah. And that's kind of what the allegations being made about her, that she wanted she wanted somebody to fire her brother in law, I believe, is as the story goes. And then the guy wouldn't, and so she in turn fired him for not following her orders to fire her brother in law. It's all very confusing.
4: Uh Palin says Democrats have stole uh stalled oil drilling. Our opponents
3: say again and again that drilling will not solve all of america's energy problems as if we didn't know that already Mm -hmm. but the fact the fact that drilling though won't solve every problem is no excuse to do nothing at all
5: so she's doing that uh that other thing that they like to do the republicans are big fans of this um, the not using the, the the opponent's name, not saying Barack Obama, not saying Joe Biden, and as Josiah Bartlett once said, that does make it look a little daft, like you can't quite remember his name. But and it becomes almost it, it becomes a thing that you notice by its omission. Every time she goes, my opponent, the opponent, the other side, the other side of the aisle, the other guy, the folks we're running against, it's like somebody has gone through and just excised the name Obama and Biden like out of the speech with a pair of shears.
4: Uh, Sarah Palin dismissed pollsters. With their usual
3: certitude, they told us that all was lost. There was no hope for this candidate who said that he would rather lose an election than see his country lose a war.
4: Mm -hmm. Uh, Palin says she respects McCain's military record.
3: He's a man who wore the uniform of his country for 22 years and refused to break faith with those troops in Iraq ...who now have brought victory within sight.
4: Mm, Not sure about the victory part. Uh, Palin said uh, she had the privilege of living in a small town as a hockey mom and a member of the PTA.
3: I love those hockey moms. You know, they say the difference between a hockey mom and a pit bull? Lipstick.
5: Kill
4: me. She's a small town gal. (laughs) I
3: had the privilege of living most of my life in a small town. I was just your average hockey mom Ah! for the PTA.
5: Stop it! Oh, by the stop way, stop saying
4: that. Barack Obama tells different stories in different cities.
3: We tend to prefer candidates who don't talk about us one way in Scranton and another way in San Francisco.
5: You, can, you know, you can never go wrong at a Republican convention by, by mocking San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just, man, th- that is, th- mocking San Francisco, that's like, uh, that's like a classic rock station rolling out uh, night moves. You know what I mean? That, that is always going to test well. There's no focus group in the world that's going to fault you for that.
4: Uh, so Governor Schwarzenegger says he's impressed with the speech made at the Republican National Convention. He said Palin hit the ball out of the park. He added that Palin is a great, great contribution to the ticket. No other sound by some Schwarzenegger or Palin.
5: Things of this nature.
4: Governor Mike Huckabee criticized the media's recent reporting on the personal life of McCain's vice presidential running mate, Sarah Palin.
8: The reporting of the past few days have proven tackier than a costume change at a Madonna concert.
5: Can I just tell you? Here's the note. I nota. hate Madonna. Here's the, well, you know where she spends a lot of time, Tim, is San Francisco. I believe she does. Uh, I made a note to myself last night, actually. This is because, and you just look at that, I mean, just endless, I mean, like page after page of tiny, tiny little notes. Oh, everything's filling up,
4: permanently seared into my brain. <laughs> like,
5: I'll need a lobotomy to
4: forget last night. It has such a profound impact on me.
5: Um, it, not unlike being kicked in the head by a mule,
4: over and over and over again for hours.
5: So I'm making all these notes, and we'll get to we'll get to the bulk of these later on, because I got into the day they're going to be outdated. But I but when he got to the, I'm making all these notes about Huckabee's uh, section last night, and I'll just give the two Huckabee notes I have here. One, I keep waiting for Mike Huckabee to say Shazam, and B, I, when he made the Madonna joke, I just wrote to myself Madonna dot dot dot. Sigh, because I couldn't even bring myself to start making observations about that. So it, the whole thing last night, Chris Needham said something really. Um, he said something really, really insightful, which is that if you sort of like squinted your ears a little bit, it all sounded like one bad Jay Leno monologue. I mean, they were just doing like the setup punchline, setup punchline. Yeah, I mean up to and including like all of her terrible jokes about like hockey moms and pit bulls and it mean, it came down to more war, more for big oil. It's the will of God. Mm-hmm. I'm not making that and up by the way.
4: And nothing was uh mentioned about the economy or health care or anything else no. that, that was domestic. No one cares Everything about. was While taking over countries overseas, no one cares about the economy. And the fact that we have to rescue the Georgians, they probably thought we were talking about Atlanta.
5: And by the way, I'm not making this up. There was a, I pulled a news story this morning, I don't know where it is, uh, where she was speaking to, uh, I do believe a church group, as she is wont to do. Oh, yeah. Uh, and she said that she did say that the war in Iraq and Alaskan pipelines, wait for it, will of God. So, there you go. It was Tim Riley.
4: Uh, Mike Huckabee says most Americans can lift their arms to signify they want something, but as a result of his torture, while he remained a prisoner of war, John McCain
8: cannot. He can't even lift his arms to his shoulder, which is a constant reminder that his life is marked not by what he's wanting to receive, but rather by what he has already given. Just as a brief note... uh... He seemed
4: to be happier as a prisoner he is here.
5: John McCain? Yes. John McCain seems distinctly uncomfortable in this setting. And I don't know whether that's because he... Uh, I mean, I don't really know. At this point... I mean,
4: I, we're constantly being reminded that he was prodded by sticks in the cave somewhere.
5: Well, the, the, two things. One about the A, I don't know. The waters are so muddy at this point that I can't even really figure out if he was ever really a, a maverick or whatever, an independent, whatever supposed well, to to him. Well, Republicans hate him. Uh... You know, and I think that maybe he was, and I think that, I mean, my read on McCain, I don't really know, but my read on McCain is that he was probably legitimately independent on many things, and obviously he differed with Bush on a lot of things, and that's why they creamed him so badly in South Carolina, but that he just got tired of losing, and I think McCain probably, as... um uh, as uh, William Holden says, a network, I think I think McCain looked at his driver's license, looked at his age and realized it was closer to the end than it is the beginning. And he was like, screw it. I'm going to win something. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to get this, I'm going to win this election before I die. Uh, and so he just decided to do whatever, whatever was politically expedient. And, you know, so he seems so uncomfortable in these sort of vague Republican surroundings, because I get the sense that it is just a lot of decisions he's made to sort of gain the presidency, which is, you know, fine. I mean, people have been doing that forever. Not, you know, Republicans and Democrats alike. But that's why McCain just looks like he'd rather be anywhere else. It just seems so unnatural. And I have to say this one thing. Two nights ago, Fred Thompson was doing that long uh, speech.
4: Oh, I couldn't handle
5: most of that. And it was, I mean, when Fred Thompson and... I will say for the record, although this should go without saying i mean nobody is nobody is criticizing. i mean nobody has anything but respect for the fact that John McCain uh, went to war, he was yeah. brave, was courageous, uh, you know stood up to all kinds of stuff that I certainly could have he's a braver man than I am, and you know all of that, but Fred Thompson did this speech that became very difficult to listen to because it was like eight nine ten minutes of excruciating detail describing exactly how they were like. Jabbing something sharp into a sensitive part of John McCain's anatomy when he was a prisoner of war, which we've heard and which we know. And it's just, in my opinion, uh, it it is unseemly. And if I were John McCain, I would feel, I think, and I can't, I mean, I would, it seems like I'd be a little embarrassed by that, you know? Because John McCain, to his credit, is always very sort of low-key and kind of humble about his POW experience. And then he's got, you know, people coming out and just spending 10, it was like, it's like the passion of the Christ. It's like just an endless 10-minute flogging sequence. You know, which I think they think is powerful, but it really it made me embarrassed for John McCain that these people are doing it, doing something for him on his behalf that he's never done and that he doesn't appear to like done on his behalf. It's very awkward. Uh, let's do like one more, and then we got a break. We'll come back with uh, with uh, Steve Kastenbaum.
4: Uh Let's see here. We have a couple of versions of this. One is not fit for air.
5: Uh, is this the Peggy Noonan thing?
4: Yeah, I've got a little snippet here that is fit for air. Well, we can play the whole thing you later. You play the snippet, and I'll play the whole yeah. thing later, because i got it cleaned up. Okay. An open mic created an embarrassing moment for columnist Peggy Noonan as she slammed John McCain's choice of Sarah Palin as his running mate. After a segment was aired on NBC with Chuck Todd, Noonan blasted Palin as someone who would hurt the GOP ticket. The
3: most qualified? No. I think they went for this, excuse me, political bull****. About narratives yeah, they in the picture. I told you. Every time Republicans do that,
2: because that's not where they live and it's not what
5: they're good at, they blow it. It's fantastic, Peggy Noonan, who's of course a Republican consultant, strategist, and was a speechwriter for presidents, including President Ford, most fam- or President uh, Reagan, most famously. Uh, so, so yeah, she's on this open mic, and the, I have the whole clip. We can play it later. It's all bleeped up. I got the un- uh, bleep version on my website. Oh, it's fantastic, and the, because the first words out of Peggy Noonan's mouth, because they. As always, they think they've gone to break, and they think the mics are off, and they're not. And so it's Mike Murphy and Peggy Noonan talking about Sarah Palin. And keep in mind, Peggy Noonan's huge Republican cheerleader. I mean, her public face is like Republicans do no wrong. Great choice, Sarah Palin went for the job. The first word out of Peggy Noonan's mouth: or, They've blown it. It's over. Which is just—it's like so deeply satisfying. It's like that thing when it's like that thing when Jesse Jackson left his mic on and was talking about cutting off part of Barack Obama's manhood. And you watch it. Like
6: that, no, when I go, when I worked in TV, I, when I went to the bathroom, I would always take off oh, my yeah. pack. I never trust the turn off. I would disengage the pack from the earpiece oh, and yeah. leave it wherever. It's
5: so great. Well, you don't want to be like Homer Simpson and they're taking oh, a whiz with the microphone on. Uh, all right, well, we got a break. If you're on hold, hang tight. We've got punchlines coming up later on today for the Breakfast Club oh, joke, including one on in the corner. The Oregon City Home Depot has just been evacuated due to flames. <laughs> Really? That's the Oregon City Home Depot. Right. I believe there's a fire there. Mm-hmm. More details on that around the corner. Steve on Dick Giuliano, uh, Lisa Desjardins coming up, Dorothy Carsiceri for the National Enquirer. More on last night, your phone calls, etc. Stay there. Best day ever. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson. Radio program. Never come along. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, we will get one punchline. Then we'll talk to a senior radio correspondent, Steve Kastenbaum, uh, joining us from New York. All right. As you know, we're doing the uh, punchline contest today for a pair of tickets to Dennis Miller live at Spirit Mountain Casino. Uh, you must supply the uh, an original punchline, a punchline of your own creation. To the famous breakfast club uh, joke setup. A naked blonde walks into a bar, poodle under her arm, two-foot salami under the other. She lays the poodle on the table. Bartender says, I suppose you won't be needing a drink. The naked lady says, what, sir? Is this me? (laughs) The naked lady probably didn't say that, but yes, it is you. Hello, sir. Make sure. All right, what is is your punchline, my friend?
9: Blonde says, while staring at the sausage, none for me, thanks, but the poodle's probably going to want a double. Hello?
5: I don't even know. I don't even know what that means. Well, come on. None for me, but the poodle's going to want a double.
9: Well, he's staring at the sausage answering the question, yes. Sarah? Come on, Rick.
7: That was a good try, sir.
5: All right, thank you. Uh, Richie, make sure we have his information there. <laughs>
6: yeah.
5: I mean, I get the feeling it's some sort of blue humor, but I don't even really get it.
6: I think because she has the sausage, just so she's set, but...
5: But why would the poodle want a double?
6: I I don't know.
5: All right, well, whatever. All right, thank you. Let's welcome that. We got the rest of the day. Uh, CNN Radio Correspondent Steve Katzenbaum. Hello, sir.
1: Hey, how are you?
5: Oh, I am fantastic. I've never been better.
1: I can't even think of a punchline for that one that, that I can, you know... And still be a respected CNN. Well, person. see, that's the
5: that's the challenge. It's a joke that we've all heard a billion times in the Breakfast Club. We've all kind of pondered what the punchline might have been. But then you got the additional challenge of making it safe for the air. So uh, I got to say, you know, so it's uh, we got another I don't know three hours or something. I'll be curious to see uh, see how people kind of pull it together. How are you? How's life?
1: Doing good. We've got a big NFL kickoff concert happening all of a sudden outside uh, our bureau today. Are you into football? You're not really into
5: I'm not much of a sports guy.
1: Me me neither. I mean, I love baseball. I never became, like, you know, one of these dedicated football sports fans. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I like watching the game, but I'm not, like, you know, loyal to any one team. So every year the NFL does this big kickoff concert. With all these stars, uh you know, and, and this year it's Usher is the headliner and Akon is performing. But uh, they usually do it down in Times Square, and for some reason this year they're doing it right outside our bureau in Columbus Circle. So there's like hundreds of people out there in this big stage, and, of course, traffic's a mess out there. So, you know. If you really want to piss off a New Yorker, mess up their traffic,
5: <laughs> because your traffic flows so well all the you know the other times.
1: Uh, yeah, right. Uh,
5: we were just saying at the beginning of today's program. I mean, it, were it not for and not just Sarah Palin, but were it not for the Republican convention and just the the very uh, I would say strident and combative nature of of this campaign so far for the presidency, this thing in Detroit would be an even bigger story. As it is, I find it fascinating because it just. I mean I guess the rest of the country the rest of the world whatever has a certain perception of Detroit and you try not to, you know, I mean you try not to think that just that the perception or maybe just the uh, the broad strokes about a city are always true and then you just get a story like this where so what what is it with this so he's resigning or he's he's they're kicking him out what is happening he was violating his bail for one thing right
1: Yeah I mean the whole deal with this guy has been amazing I mean you know he's been fighting all the charges against him for so long. Then yesterday, he, he filed an appeal in the, in the state Supreme Court in Michigan to try to halt the governor's hearing, which was uh, looking into having him removed from office for violating the city's charter. Mm-hmm. So as late as yesterday, he was fighting having to leave office. And then today, he pleads guilty to obstruction of justice charges, and he agrees to step down. So it was, it was pretty – this guy's like – I mean, he's, he's he's out there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> in, I'm... in court today, he, he admitted to what he did, and, and there were cameras in the courtroom,
0: of course. I lied under oath in the case of Gary Brown and Harold Nelson versus the city of Detroit. Case number zero three three one seven 03317557NZ regarding information that was relevant to claims made by Gary Brown and Harold Nelson. I did so with an intent to mislead the court and the jury. He wanted
1: to mislead the court and the jury. He also pleaded guilty to uh, the assault charges against him involving the detective and uh, and another agent who were trying to serve a subpoena on somebody he knew. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they were negotiating these deals yesterday. So why was he filing an appeal to stop the hearing uh, that was aimed at... You know, removing him from office.
5: I don't know. I mean, really, it seems like I mean, didn't it, did you say that somebody gave him the nickname, or he gave himself the nickname of the hip-hop mayor?
1: I think it sort of evolved. Uh, I'm not sure that he gave it to himself. But you know, when he first came into office, he was he was looked upon as this, you know, the future
5: the future of the Democratic right. Party
1: in Detroit, and this rising, shining star. And then, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying it all went to his head.
5: So here's the thing. I'm just thinking, I mean, he probably, you know, his his agent, his handlers, whoever it is, that whoever his people are that sort of advise him on these things. I mean, I was going to say he needs a reality show, but everybody has a reality show. So uh, what he can probably do, though, he probably, I would say, has sufficient street cred that he really could have some sort of burgeoning music career. I mean, that would just be my read on it. Uh, I
1: like he uh, is in the music business, I'm more saying, like a, a record producer.
5: I'm saying, but see, that's what i You make him some sort of uh, either either a performing artist or an impresario of some kind. Uh, people would flock to be on that guy's record label.
1: Yeah, he's also a really big guy. Yeah. I mean, he, he's he's um, he's he's really tall, and he he looks like a you know
5: a linebacker. He's big. <laughs> he seems like a guy who could get things done. Yes. You know, yeah. by by hook or by crook, as they say. Yeah. All right. Um. Hey, just uh, real quickly. As you, of course, did you watch uh, the uh, the DNC or the uh, RNC convention last night?
1: Yes, oh. I watched Sarah Palin's speech. Did you Did you guys enjoy that?
5: Um. Enjoy might not be the word that I would necessarily go for, <laughs> but I, I would say this. I say, in terms of political expediency and doing what she had to get done, uh, in terms of speechcraft delivery, I give it like a good eight out of ten.
1: Oh, everybody's saying the speech itself was a home run. You know, Wolf Blitzer said every, as soon as she was done, you know, within seconds he was saying that she, she hit a home run there yeah. at the uh, Republican convention and, and took the doubt out of anybody's mind, uh, if you're a Republican about her, uh, her cred. And but, so
10: the- you
1: know, you know, whether or not she's qualified to be uh, second in, in command there, you know, still remains to be seen. Well, I
5: mean, can we just be honest? Everybody, I mean, I hate to sound like we're just picking on Sarah Palin the last few days, but it, it is her turn. But I will say, let's just be honest, almost no one is qualified to run this country, including most of the people who've run this country. I mean, well, anybody-
1: from... Anybody who's qualified to run this country does something better that pays more.
5: Exactly. That's the thing. I mean, you know, you know, you know who's probably qualified? I mean, look, you've got all kinds of guys. you got names that come to mind like Rupert Murdoch, Ted Turner, Bill Gates, Steve Ballmer, Steve Jobs for that matter. These are all people that I would probably trust huge sections of the government and economy with. But because they're smart, driven, motivated, and they have their act together, they're not in politics. They're off making billions of dollars for themselves. So yeah. the only people left who want to run this joint are people who probably shouldn't be allowed anywhere near it. And that's people of both sexes and both parties. So.
1: Yeah, what's, what's the quote from John Adams that they, they used in the miniseries on HBO? Uh, the public's work must be done. If wise men refuse it, others. Others will do, won't, or something like that. Uh, talking about, you know, your duty to the public, and, right. and you know, but but nobody seems to uh, feel the the responsibility anymore. You're right. Yeah,
5: no, it is. It's just, you know, it, what are you going to do? Uh, it is. It's like it's sort of a play on that Groucho Marx thing about not wanting to be a member of any club that would have you. You know, so I mean, really, anybody who desires to run this country, anybody who desires to be president, in my opinion, you know, is almost immediately disqualified uh, from the ranks of people who really ought to be running it. But that's just me.
1: All right. How about about Kucinich, though? He was he was he was peppy at the DNC. The
5: peppy. He really is peppy. I have to tell you, Portland, Oregon is a huge Dennis Kucinich stronghold. They love him here. He
1: was great. Did you hear his Wake Up America speech?
5: Uh, yeah, he's a little, you know, you know what Dennis Kucinich always reminds me of? Uh, he reminds me of that guy, and I always think of him as the guy from the Motley Crue smoking in the boys' room video. That guy with the oddly shaped head and the ears that wiggle up and down, kind of like Sloth from the Goonies. That's what, that's what or, either that or, or Bat Boy from the cover of the Weekly World News. Dennis Kucinich looks a lot like Bat Boy in a suit. That's just my take on it.
9: Yeah,
1: uh, but his wife's very popular.
5: Well, Me, <laughs> that not I I uh, okay. We I, unfortunately I got to skedaddle because uh, Dick Giuliano's okay. going to be on the phone here in a few. Are you on tomorrow, sir? Yes. Speak to you then. All right. We'll talk to you then. There you go, Steve Kastenbaum. All right. So much to uh, so much to do. So little time. Do we have time for an poll before Dick Giuliano calls?
6: Mm, we have three minutes. Is that enough time? All
5: right. What do you think we should do? I'm going to let you choose. Should we do A? Is Sarah Palin hot or not? Or B? Where is Sarah Palin's hotness on the one to ten scale?
6: Ooh, maybe the scale. And then
5: we'll do an average. We can find the mean vote. All well, right. Guess, but
6: then what would we really accomplish if we find the average? Like well, if it's above five, then, well, then got, we have to. Then...
5: Well, I guess then we'll figure out who else is that number.
6: Okay. Maybe I we can mean, find out what a five actually is. There you go. Five.
5: you know, like Donna and Mike a long time ago did the whole thing, trying to find out what a six was, and they never could. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Rick Emerson Show Instapoll. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Uh in terms of hotness on the classic one to ten scale, Sarah Palin is a what? Uh, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy five zero three seven three three two nine seventy five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. 503 Uh we will do the uh, instable here coming up uh later on. We'll talk to Siena Radio correspondent Dick Giuliano, who's on the Hill. Uh we will talk to Lisa Desjardins in the next hour. We'll have our birth of a birth of a salesman entrance, and uh we will have um uh Dorothy Carcassari from the National Choir. Is that Dick Uliano? I believe so. All right. Well, let's do this. Let's talk to Dick Uliano here very briefly, and then we'll go to the phones for the Insta poll. I do believe that is him. Let me make sure uh, Let me make sure that that's him. Richie, is this Dick Uliano? All right. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill CNN radio correspondent, Dick Uliano. Hello, sir.
0: Good day from St. Paul, Minnesota, from the Republican Convention.
5: All right. So here's a question uh, To the best of your ability, what is the general mood, tone, tenor? What is the vibe? in the hall right now among the faithful
0: well they liked uh, sarah palin's speech very much last night you know they gave it a very very warm applause uh... despite the fact that this is a year in which the republicans have an uphill climb these delegates think uh, they have a crack at the white house with uh, mccain and palin they're really looking forward to tonight's speech uh... have been in a partying mood uh, they're a little PO'd uh, at the uh, anarchists who are trying to disrupt things outside. There have been over 300 arrests, and uh, they have literally attacked some of the delegates, uh, mm. uh, in a particular a group from Connecticut. I, I think that sums it up.
5: There's some woman being hustled out of there last night by security, I saw during the speech.
0: Yeah, there were a couple of them, uh, and uh, I'm glad you asked me about that. Uh, Because I do have some thoughts about that. Number one, those demonstrators that were hustled out, uh, they were wearing pink. So I think they were part of Code Pink, uh, the group that uh, has been active up in your area in the northwest and is very active on Capitol Hill uh, disrupting congressional hearings. But having said that... That is not the group that is wilding in the streets here. Those are anarchists uh, who uh, the listeners may remember from 1999 in Seattle when they really busted up the G8. WTO. Uh, you know and uh, yeah right exactly uh, the the people who are sort of uh, against uh, global trade and and so on and so forth, but uh, those code pink people the, the other point I wanted to make about them uh, rick i 've been to a number of these conventions over the years. i think it 's absolutely extraordinary uh, that these demonstrators from Code pink got credentials to go in here. They have been known to get credentials from members of Congress, uh democratic members of Congress. To attend, for example, State of the Union speeches and so on and so forth, uh, they somehow got credentials to get into this building. I mean, the security is extraordinary. Again, th- 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 this is a nonviolent group; it's a strictly political group. They do sort of political theater. But I just thought it was amazing that they uh, they got in here and got near the stage.
5: Well, I mean, that is that is for both that is for both good and bad. It is a representation of uh, of of all that all that makes this republic what yes. it is? So, uh, all right, and, and real quickly, obviously expectations. Uh, Because of Sarah Palin's performance, expectations raised or lowered for McCain. In other words, the job he has to do tonight.
0: Well, you know, uh, the delegates gave her sort of a thunderous uh, uh, appreciation. I I thought her speech um you know on a scale of 1 to 10, may, you know, maybe a 6 or 7. I really didn't think it was much of a barn burner. I think ex- expectations are sort of moderate for McCain because he's not a great speech maker and he is confronting one of the greatest political orators of our generation. I mean, we thought Reagan was good, we thought Clinton was good, Barack Obama is fabulous and uh you know, McCain is okay in town hall meetings, uh, in speeches, not that great. So, uh, Let's wait and see how well he performs. got a great speech writer. The lines may be good. Let's see how he delivers it.
5: All right. Going to be a big night. Dick Juliano, thank you, sir. Sure. There you go. CNN radio correspondent, Dick Giuliano uh, from Minneapolis. Yeah,
6: because you said the speech was an eight, and I keep getting more and more emails from people. They're like, oh, like, yeah, five or six. Maybe. But in the substance, maybe you were just, like, taken by her, by the way she said things well, instead of what she was saying. Well,
5: two things. One, Dick sounds a little peeved at the anarchists. Yeah, he <laughs> He's, totally does. He does not sound happy about the anarchy, the wilding in the streets, as he called it. Also... I think it's what they call in sales managing expectations. I think the bar was, like, set so low for her last night. And I still think she delivered the speech really well, I mean, for what she had to do. But, well, let's be honest. I mean, she just sounded like a rube for the last five, six days. Because, I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. You know, know that, you know, that the family of hers, and, you know, the what do you hear about the, the husband's a snowmobiler? I mean, really, what do you expect from that? Uh, and then, she, you know, she came on last night and was a very... I would say this. I'd say she is... One of the best three speeches of both conventions the last two weeks, period. I mean, I'd say it's her and Obama and Bill Clinton. I mean, she, I'd say she's in the top three, and certainly the best single thing that's happened at, the, at that Republican convention. So, all right, it's an insta poll, then we'll take a break. We'll come back uh, to Tim Radley, the Ministry of Truth, on the classic 1 to 10 scale, how hot is Sarah Palin. It's an insta-poll. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show well, on the Classic I, 1 to 10 scale.
9: I disagree with everything she has to say, but I have to say her speech was an 8.5 and she's a 9.5. There's nothing been hotter near the office since Ronald Reagan. All right, thank but, you. However, I had have to take issue. Your Kucinich analysis is such depth. I can't believe.
8: Insta-poll. All
9: right,
5: thank you. Bye. Thank you. Uh, it's 503-733-2970 uh, on this Classic 1 to 10 scale. How hot is Sarah Palin?
8: Hey, Rick, what's going on? What's Classic? up? Classic, uh, I think she's a solid, I'm going to
9: give her a solid eight.
5: All right, eight. Excellent. All right, thank you, sir. Thank uh, you. 503-733-2970. How hot is Sarah Palin on the one to ten scale? Hi.
9: Hey, she's a ten to me. If she can shoot a deer and gut a fish, she's a ten in my book.
5: Strictly on looks?
9: Strictly on looks. I think she's gorgeous.
5: All right, there you go. Thank you. Thanks. All right. On the classic one to ten scale, how hot is Sarah Palin? Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show.
9: Hey. Hey. Sarah up glasses on eight. Hair uh, down, drive from a hockey practice,
5: too. So that gives us a mean of five. All right, excellent. No,
9: she's
5: hotter than all, right, all right, thank you. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. How hot is Sarah Palin on the one to ten scale?
7: You put her in that hockey jersey, she's a nine.
5: <laughs> Anyone, you know, a hot look girl always looks hotter in a hockey jersey.
7: Well, yeah, she is a classy girl. All
5: right, thank <laughs> you. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. On the classic one to ten scale, how hot is Sarah Palin?
9: I'd give her a six and a half.
5: I know you would. Hi, <laughs> you're on the <laughs> Rick Harrison <Recoveration laughs> show. On the classic one to ten scale, how hot is Sarah Palin?
7: Nine nine five.
5: We'll call that a ten. Thank you. Hi, she's trending higher than I think you thought she would.
6: No, no, I can I can totally see how guys would like that.
5: I've heard from a lot of guys oh, she she's not hot at all. I don't see it at all. No,
6: I can I can completely see it.
5: I mean, yeah, I, I suppose people can think she's. Uh, I I think and people I think are having it sometimes having a difficulty getting past sort of. Her rough exterior, in some ways. higher on the Rick Emerson Show. Classic one to ten scale. How hot is Sarah Palin? Eight and a half. Snaps. All right. Thank you. Five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. We'll do uh, like one more banker. Maybe I think two. she's
6: very pretty. She's just kind of. Her, it seems like she would have an off-putting personality. She seems like someone who gets their teeth whitened
5: like once every couple weeks. Is always having
6: her little Asian girl doing her nails.
5: Doesn't she look like this? Doesn't Sarah Palin look like a woman who would be on one of those? Banner ads for some sort of cosmetic surgery Absolutely. product. Absolutely. You know, like you know, with dental whites. You know, I have a dazzling smile, and it, she like loved the banner ad when you're at like Google or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, hi. In the classic one to ten scale, how hot is Sarah Palin?
9: Uh, I give her a nine. I'd fill out like an application.
5: Thank you. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Men uh, in their native environment. How hot is Sarah Palin? One to ten.
9: Yeah, nine and a half. Those classes on only though.
5: All right. Thank you. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show on the 1 to 10 scale. How hot is Sarah Palin?
7: Uh, She'd be a 7 if she didn't sound like the cop in Fargo, don't you know?
5: (laughs) He's a big fella. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show on the classic 1 to 10 scale. How hot is Sarah Palin?
7: Uh, I'd give her an 8 as long as her mouth was occupied in something other than
5: talking. All right, thank you. We'll do one more back. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show on the classic 1 to 10 scale. How hot is Sarah Palin?
1: I couldn't give her more than a 5 because I feel the same way the last guy did. I'm sort of like Don Draper. If she won't shut up, you know, she better be tied up, and I'm going home.
5: All right. Thank you, sir. Bye. Uh, it's 503 733 on the classic 1 to 10 scale. Uh, how hot is Sarah Palin? Uh,
9: I, I would give her an 8, and I would like to add that she is a, a V-PILF. She's thank a
5: you. V-PILF. All right. Thank you. That's an 8. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. So we will tally it up here. So we got the... Uh, well, we'll, do, we'll tally it over the break. Take a break. We'll add it up. Uh, come back on the other side with Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Later on, Lisa Desjardins. Uh, Dorothy here for the National Enquirer. And more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. Why? Hello. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. What or where is American Samoa? Anyone? Oh, that's uh, we've been through this before.
4: It's I one of those Pacific Islands.
5: About, it, about American Samoa, or was that about the Virgin Islands?
4: No, that was separate. We we well over the years we had discussions on all of them.
5: Well, I clearly I wouldn't. just
4: remember more about the.
5: Are you sure that wasn't because we were? You sure that wasn't a conversation we were talking about Girl Scout cookies called Samoas? No. I think we've,
6: we talked about it last election.
5: Samoa is a little dot.
4: Mhm. It's past Hawaii. On the way to Japan.
6: And it's like like property of America, but or it's not property, but they are deregated by or, the government or something. We
5: probably have had this We're conversation. Protecting before. Them. And, and please, I have understand I have no problem with them voting. I really do mean this the way this is exactly the way I phrase it, which is why do they get to vote? Well, it's a territory. Okay, and I know I've asked this before. So does Puerto Rico they get to vote? I believe so, yes, they are also a territory. All right, okay. Well there you go. It's five oh three so I uh, the only reason it sort of prompted uh, it, it prompted me to make a note about it was <clears throat> Because throughout his life, uh, Hunter Thompson, uh, Hunter S. Thompson, repeatedly, while he was alive, he kept trying to get. He he wanted to be the ambassador to American Samoa. And every single time a new president would take office, Hunter Thompson would send them this, like, notarized letters saying, I, Dr. Hunter S. Thompson, demand to be made the ambassador to American Samoa. Never really came together for him. But... Yeah, I like Samoans. They're, they're all built like the incredible Hulk, but they're really
4: friendly and have this flowery
5: language. Well, they were doing the, uh, they were all, like, like sporting the, the cool Hawaiian type shirt. Mm-hmm. You know, what you would generally think of as a Hawaiian shirt last night. It was so great. And really, it was so like. So their a...
4: language is icky,
5: picky, clicky. And... It sounds something like Is that. Is that the name of the language? Yes, I believe so. It was great, though. I mean, it's like it just, especially in a sea of just really bland, unbelievably white and staid and wrinkly Republicans wearing like sequined American flag vests, uh, and just everybody looked like Minnie Pearl last night. I mean, everybody it was just a, George Washington stocking. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was just powdered wigs. I mean, it, 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 clearly, clearly, and there was a whole lot of people last night who they have this look on their face. The, the, per, their face is perpetually squinched. I mean, this expression like they just sniffed something foul. Sort of a lot of you know, you know, I don't understand. You know, I don't understand all of these strange people in America. That's it. They all had that look on their face. And so then after that, it was so great when they go like, American Samoa, how do you vote? And they cut to, like, some guy, uh, you know, looks like he just came from a luau, and he's in the Hawaiian shirt going, "Uh, I can't do the accent. But it was like some some, some very thick accent. They like, like, we cast all nine votes for John McCain! And then, like, everybody kind of went like, oopah! It was was really great. Uh, By the way, so we have tallied up the votes. And uh, before we begin the news hour proper here, uh, after canvassing the Rick Emerson audience in an Insta poll, uh, we have deduced that Sarah Palin on the classic 1 to 10 scale is an eight point seven eight in terms of hotness. So, uh, for the sake of experience, where are they voting from? Uh, what do you mean?
4: I mean, as compared to the town they may
5: be voting from, she may be a, a hot mama. So, you're saying, are they in Lake Oswego or are they in Gresham? Correct. I don't really know. We didn't ask. So, it is truly a, make it, a difference. It's a truly it's a it's a cross section though because we didn't bother to you know. In other words, there's an unfiltered focus group. Um, so uh, we're going to round it up to a 9. So the Rick Emerson audience has voted that on the classic 1 to 10 scale, uh, scale in terms of hotness, Sarah Palin is a 9. The answer is 9. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley.
7: It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. How
5: and now, from the Ministry
4: of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Okay, so we'll get to all this, uh, including... Brand new comments from Barack Obama in just a second. But uh, first, the Home Depot store was evacuated in Oregon City this morning after a methane alarm started buzzing and five employees felt sick. Apparently a hazmat crew is there. They checked the sewer line, didn't find any leaks. Then they uh, found out that five ill-feeling employees were checked over and not transported to the hospital. Get back to work at Home Depot. It's a little fume. So that's that. Play through the pain. Play through the pain. Now... Uh, we have so many things to cover today. First of all, let me tell you that this uh, News It News is brought to you by LAPES Auto Collision Center's Finest and Collision Repair. Go to LAPES.com and find out what LAPES can do for you. Saying something's missing in the talk at the Republican National Convention? This just in Barack Obama takes aim at the GOP,
8: accusing the party of not focusing on the voters. You wouldn't know that this is such a critical election by watching the convention last night. It's been amazing to me to watch over the last two nights. You, if you sit there and you watch it, you're hearing a lot about John McCain, and he's got a compelling biography as POW. You're hearing an awful lot about me, most of which is not true. He says, prayer is not the answer to solving health care issues. Healthcare is a huge hit on small business owners. I don't know what you're doing uh, in your company, but uh, you say it a prayer. That's not... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I believe in prayer, but that's not a health care plan. <laughs> that's a good line. It is.
5: Excellent. Well done, Barack Obama.
8: So it's good to hit back. Democrats have to learn to hit back. Point, counterpoint. Well, you know, point
4: what,
5: the, uh, do you know what they say... Uh, the
4: ass as Patton would say. <laughs>
5: <In> the... <laughs> We're going to go through them like crap
4: through a goose.
5: Man, i got to play this that piece. This is a barracks,
4: tomorrow. not a bordello.
5: Hey, you know, you're going back to the front, my friend. Hey, we should play Patton tomorrow. All that's right. what we're going to open the show with. You know, I was going to open the show with a little uh, a uh, Kinison thing tomorrow, but you know what? We'll I can it watch Patton. it every day and never get tired of that movie. That's a great movie. It really is. Um, all right, Patton. Um, we're going
4: to murder those lousy Huns by the bushel.
5: Jesus, what a great, what a great. That may be the best opening scene in any film that's ever been yeah. made. I mean, it might be the best opening scene ever put on film. Just fantastic. Did
4: not that come out during the Nixon era too?
5: Seventy-two. Yeah. Sounds about right. Because it was a couple of years for the Godfather, I think. Mm-hmm. And wasn't that the year he wouldn't? He didn't show up. Like well, he sent some chick to pick up the award for him. Oh yeah, some Indian. Or something. The, yeah, it was like it was like an Indian. It was like literally, I believe an Indian with a feather in her hair. Molly Little Feather. Or something. Yeah, and she show, It was a name just like that. And she something. She's like, and Georgie Scott will. He could not be here tonight. So in order, we presented this award to an Indian, and like it was some Indian woman. Um, all right, patent for tomorrow. Uh but you're right. I mean the Republicans, uh, you know, they just man they hit and they hit and they hit. I had a friend of mine who studies um I forget the actual name of the fighting style, but it's like a Filipino martial arts style. Uh for those uh, uh, those uh sort of um UFC fans uh, in the audience will know a guy named um, the, the Gracie family, Royce Gracie, and she studied with the same family that you know that the, the they were part of. Anyway, but they had this whole thing. They're their their one sort of overriding maxim. In this particular martial art, it's actually sort of a double prong thing is that one is that you gotta to learn to fight on the ground and in the streets because every fight ends up on the ground. That's kind of one of the things like you grab you grab a guy and you ever seen Hoist Gracie fight in the, in the in the ultimate fighting league. his whole thing is just to grab onto you and drag you down to the floor and they only train to fight on the floor. They don't train to fight standing up, they don't train to punch, they don't train to kick because they got this thing that every fight becomes a floor fight. So that's all you got to learn. And their other maxim, which the Republicans have taken hard, is if you are in a fight, you hit first, and you hit as hard as you possibly can. And the Republicans do it, and the Democrats don't, but it sounds oh. like they're counterpunching at least a little bit. Mm-hmm.
4: So uh, let's get back to the Palin speech. You may have seen um, little pieces of it. We have a few sound like you may not have heard. Uh, Sarah Palin says she is honored to accept the nomination as Republican Vice President of the USA.
3: I will be honored to accept your nomination for Vice President of the United States.
4: Voters know how to cast their ballots.
3: Maybe that's because they realize there's a time for politics and a time for leadership. A time to campaign and a time to put our country first.
5: A time, and, turn, turn. A time to steal
4: from Roger McGuinn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah Palin said they added to the family earlier this year.
3: We were so blessed in April. Todd and I welcomed yeah, our we'll littlest one in into the world. A perfectly beautiful baby boy named Trigg.
5: You know, uh, and every time, it, it, I think you pointed this out, too, that they were giving that baby to uh, to Cindy McCain to hold. The,
4: the dragon lady was rocking it back and forth in their seats.
5: Seriously, and Cindy McCain, she has that, you know, she's looking at the baby like, you'd make a fine little coat. I mean, she's just, she uh, she just exudes all kinds of, I mean, I made the Crypt Keeper joke, I made the Skeletor joke. Here's my final uh, Cindy McCain comparison for the day. Creepshow fans uh, will note that she looks exactly like uh, that woman who was in the first episode, the... Um, Happy Father's Day. That woman who's talking about great old dotty Aunt Bedelia. That, uh, was just a terrifying white haired looking woman. That's exactly who Cindy McCain looks like.
4: Oh, speaking of Cindy McCain, we have some figures out telling us how much her outfit cost the other night. And it was not a respect to a Republican woman's cloth coat she was wearing. Her dress were worth 3000 Her ceramic watch, 4500 Her earrings, her three carat diamond earrings, were worth $280,000. Are you kidding me? The four-strand pearl necklace worth between eleven thousand and twenty-five thousand. Her shoes, designer unknown, around six hundred. So the total of her outfit was between two hundred ninety-nine thousand and three hundred thirteen thousand dollars. Right.
5: Seriously, as much as I hate those campaigns, we talked about this before. These acumen that really somebody on the DNC side, either officially or not, needs to be putting together one of those like this is
4: from Vanity Fair.
5: They need to put together one of those like Visa knockoffs. You know, earrings three hundred thousand. You know, the shoes five thousand. Blah, 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 blah. And then they tag it with some sort of, you know, priceless thing. I mean, In that's...
4: comparison, Laura Bush was dressed like a Texas templeweed. Her suit was worth about 2000 Her heels, three hundred twenty-five. Her studded earrings, between $600 and $1,500. The total of her outfit, between $3,000
5: and $4,000. And you totally referenced the Nixon thing earlier, the uh, wearing a good Republican cloth coat. Uh, he was
4: born on Saint Patrick's Day. That Pat, she
5: wasn't. Uh, by the way, we got it wrong, Tim. Imagine that. George C. Scott won for Patton, and he just refused the award altogether. Uh, George C. Scott won for Patton. And he was just like, "Evan, I'm not taking the award." Marlon Brando.
4: That's. Oh, you're right.
5: He sent the Indian chick to pick up the award, and that was the next year. Wow, it's strange. You get me to think everything you see is the truth. Really? Every time. Remind me to only use that power for evil. All right. No, I believed you. Excellent.
4: I, I thought. I... Well,
5: Well, it's like those fools that believe you when you say stuff.
4: Oh, that's true. (laughs) I'm not always right, am I?
5: (laughs) I heard Tim Riley say that large reptiles were invading New York City. Is this true? Yes, it is, sir. Here's Tim
8: Riley. I'm Sarah Palin. The reporting of the past few days have proven tackier than a costume change at a Madonna concert.
4: (sighs) Cutting-edge humor is what that is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see here. What we didn't get to yet. Jim Romney. Let's start to admit he says, the uh, first of all, he, he was talking about the these high highfalutin uh, big money types, mm-hmm. the elitists on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Of course, nobody in that auditorium thought about how much money he was worth, or in fact that he was the governor of Massachusetts at one time. They probably don't even know Massachusetts on the East Coast. But he says the liberals are trying to take advantage of the poor economy. At least he alone admits that the economy is
8: poor. Democrats want to use the slowdown as an excuse to do what their special interests are always begging for higher taxes, bigger government, and less trade with other nations. Uh,
4: yes, uh, he said there is a need for a good energy policy. The
8: right course is to pursue every source of energy security, from new efficiencies to renewables, from coal to non-CO2 producing nuclear, and for the immediate drilling for more oil off our shores.
5: Um, a couple of things. A, uh, Mitt Romney. I don't even know where to start with that guy. Uh, you know, my wife has this weird, she has this weird loyalty to him because he's Mormon. And my wife grew up Mormon, grew up, you know, was very staunch Mormon for a long time. And, you know, and then she reached the age of reason, as George Carlin would say. But, uh, but you know, but because of that, and, and you know, and, and the thing is, traditionally in this country for a long time, the LDS church, Mormons really did get the short end of the stick uh, or often the shooting end of the gun. And so, they, you know, they, the Mormons have really been kind of kicked around and driven from place to place and treated badly and whatever. So so she has this, you know, and growing up in Utah, she kind of got, a, you know, sort of drilled into it. Like, you know, the Mormons not appreciated. Mormons have to always fight It's a struggle, It's a whatever. So she and her family did have this less, I guess, less weird for her family. But she did have this weird affection for Mitt Romney because she was sort of like, you know, kind of pulling from, you know, one of her own to make it. The man, Much
4: like New Englanders admire the Kennedys. What's that?
5: Much like New Englanders admire the exactly. Kennedys. Exactly. That's the thing. Regardless of what one thinks about the Kennedys, if you're from maybe Boston or something, you're kind of like, ah, those Kennedys, you got to love them. You know? I know he drowned a girl, but still, no one's perfect. But he was a
4: bad swimmer. She,
5: she got home. She got home last night, though. Uh, Laura was working late last night. She got home, and she's like, hey, so how's Mitt Romney? And it's like, I just couldn't even sure. I'm like, he's a goof, honey. I, he's just... He's... It, it, he's just embarrassing. I mean, the head of his is just completely empty. He has this sort of surface ability to speak, but you get to feel it's just a real big void in there. But first of all, yeah, that thing about, like, the East Coast, he's the, the billionaire governor of Massachusetts, for the love of God. Mm-hmm. Um, who was a liberal. Who was a liberal. So who, he it, who, who was pro-choice until he decided to run for president. Who was uh, pro-civil union until he decided to run for president. But, so he's talking last night, and, you know, I was just thinking to myself, like, I'm like what, a, what a nitwit this guy is. But, You are right when they keep talking about taking the country back and sort of reclaiming America. And it does sort of raise the question of from whom they are reclaiming. This is really just a a logical, logistical question. I mean, more so than anything else. From whom they're going to retake the country since, like, their guy's been in the White House for eight years. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've appointed, I think, seven of the nine Supreme Court justices that are up there. So I don't really know exactly from from where the country is being taken back. Anyway, so Mitt Romney's out there, and he's talking about the and they kept railing on the East Coast. I mean, over and over. I mean, the East Coast is getting beaten like somebody who owed them money. And then they go to the New York delegates who have their, like, 109 votes or whatever for John McCain. And you've got to wonder what it's going to feel like to be somebody in that New York Republican uh, delegation sitting there here and everybody just repeatedly stomp all over New York. It's got to be a weird, that's got to be a bit like being a log cabin Republican. Being a New York Republican has got to be a decidedly unpleasant experience.
4: So then we have Rodney saying that there needs to be energy conservation. You can bet that's happening at his side. I have
8: one more recommendation for energy conservation. Let's keep Al Gore's private jet on the ground. Oh, uh, my final thing about this.
5: It is a, going back to the Democratic Convention. Back to what, it, what the Republicans are on the outside. Of course, the Democrats are on the inside. We all know this is true. It is very interesting and just, a, I think, a sign of how much things have changed and how badly the Democrats will lie, change their position, talk out of both sides of their mouth and their ass if they, if they think it will get them elected. That When Obama was talking about his energy policy uh, last week, I mean, he was saying things that you would never think you he would have heard a Democrat say, especially 15, 20 years ago, when Obama was talking about firing up the nuclear program. Yeah, Obama but. kept, we're going to get the nuclear industry rolling. Can you imagine Jimmy Carter saying, we're going to get the nuclear industry rolling? And then Obama, using that phrase, which is itself a big lie, Obama kept saying, "And we're going to invest in clean coal. There is no clean coal. There is no clean coal technology.
4: They've been talking about it since the first Bush tour made up. Man, that never happened. No, they had all the chances in the world to do it. You know why? They never do it.
5: Doesn't exist. There is no clean coal. Quit saying that. What if you let it soak for a while? <laughs> Give it a good scrubbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. So it. I mean, you, if you if you need any further proof that man, they will just both parties just say anything that comes to mind. I mean, it, whatever is just like whatever they can sort of throw at you to get. What's it going to take to put you in this car today? I mean, that's kind of what they do.
8: Uh, Romney says John McCain knows about terrorists. John McCain hit the nail on the head. Radical, violent Islam is evil, and he will defeat it. How?
5: I, I don't know. He's going to fly around and... I don't know, turn the earth backward or something. Did you catch this thing that uh, that Giuliani said last night? That
4: we have him coming up next.
5: Okay, maybe. I'll wait then, because Giuliani said the weirdest thing last night. He said all kinds of. I mean, he clearly loves nine eleven. He's he's a little unhinged. I mean, the great thing, the thing that makes Giuliani so terrible and evil is the thing that makes him so great to watch, because he's just it, Giuliani. Obviously, I don't know whether that guy got uh, you know shoved into a series of lockers or whatever they did in the thirties. Whatever, you know, there's some sort of, if, if somebody pulled that prank of like, everybody's going to shave their head at school tomorrow, Rudy, you know, and then he shows up, and everybody else has got their hair. Clearly, something was done to Rudolph Giuliani as a younger man that he is still continually counterpunching for. But, man, he just comes out, and he just, like, goes for one ridiculous eye gouge after another. So I, but we'll get to that.
4: Oh, so we have some figures in last from last night. 37244000 watched the Palin speech as opposed to 38379000 for Obama. So that's so where that's neck and neck. Those numbers come from. Uh, yes, indeed, says uh, Mayor Giuliani. He had plenty to say about uh, Barack Obama's inexperience as a leader. He
8: spent most of his time as a celebrity senator. No leadership, no legislation to really speak of. His rise is remarkable in its own right. It's the kind of thing that can happen only in America. He
4: is the least experienced candidate in the last 100 years, Obama is.
8: He is the least experienced candidate for president of the United States in at least the last 100 years.
4: Uh, Giuliani says hope is not a strategy.
8: Change is not a destination, just as hope is not a strategy. He hammered Obama's main campaign theme. Change is not a destination, just as hope is not a strategy. Obama has zero experience as a leader. Barack Obama has never led anything, nothing, nada. Nada.
10: Nothing.
5: It is worth noting he ran a business called a campaign of 11,000 people to victory, which is something that Rudy Giuliani was unable to do. Correct.
4: So then we have this thing from Karl Rove.
5: Oh, yeah. No, I have the audio on that, too. This is fantastic. So, uh, hey, um, hey, Richie, did we check that Peggy, by we, I mean you, check that Peggy Noonan audio? Yeah. And what was the verdict on that? Good. All right, cool. All right, so let me get both of those actually queued up. I've got this this uh, Peggy Noonan stuff. We can do that uh, later. i got the full thing of her and Mike Murphy. Uh, she is a Republican speechwriter and an advisor. He is a McCain strategist, I believe. All right. Um, and then I've got, okay, here we go, Peggy Noonan edited. And let me get this Rove thing ready, too. So this is a thing that Rove said on Face the Nation, which is a fine CBS program, I believe. Yes. Uh, and this was a thing that he said uh, last month. If you want to give the story, and then I'll play the audio.
4: So Carl Rove says on Face the Nation that he expects uh, presumptive uh, Democratic nominee Barack Obama to choose a running mate based on political calculations, not on the person's readiness for the job. I think he's going to make an intensely political choice, not a governing choice At Rome. He's going to view this through the prism of a candidate, not through the prism of a president. That is to say, he's going to pick someone he thinks will be on the will on the margin, help him in a state like Indiana or Missouri so, or
5: Virginia. So this is back when they thought that Obama was going to pick, uh, what's his name, Tom Kane? Yes. Uh, he's the guy who's the governor of Virginia.
4: Virginia uh, Governor Tom Kane was an example of such a pick. With all due respect to Governor Kane, he's been a governor for three years. He's been uh, able but undistinguished. I don't think people could really name a big important
5: thing he's done. He was the mayor of the 105th largest city in America. So I've actually got this audio here. So this is Karl Rowe, who by who you know, certainly was, the, as Bush put it, the architect and the mastermind behind Bush's first victory in 2000, behind Bush's victory in 2004, and by some accounts is still sort of running things behind the scenes. So this is... Carl uh, Rove, uh, Republican guru and Swami, talking about Obama mm-hmm. picking who at the time they thought was going to be the nominee, which is Tom King. See so if this sounds like anybody else we
8: might know. Responsibilities as president. With all due respect, again, the governor kane He's been a governor for three years. He's been able but undistinguished. I don't think people could really name a big important thing that he's done. He was mayor of the 105th largest city in America. And again, with all due respect, Richmond, Virginia, it's smaller than... Chula Vista, California, Aurora, Colorado, Mesa or Gilbert, Arizona, North Las Vegas or Henderson, Nevada. It's not a big town. So if he were to pick Governor Kane, it would be an intensely political choice where he said, you know what, I'm really not first and foremost concerned with is this person capable of being president of the United States. You
5: know, you just kind of wonder if the right hand has any idea the left hand even exists Mm -hmm. sometimes. I mean, with these things kind of coming out.
4: So that is it for politics for now. Does uh-huh. anybody want to
5: hear any more? No. Uh, <laughs> no, I think, I mean, we can do, we can do it later. I mean, we've got lots of other stuff to get to. But, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a, uh, it was just a crazy night. And I'll get to some of my other notes uh, later on, uh, like maybe either not the show or maybe, uh, maybe the one o'clock hour. Lots to get to, including Lisa Desjardins coming up. Uh, we got Dorothy Carcissarek from the National Enquirer uh, with the top five songs from July 19th, 1984, uh, and more. Let's do a couple uh, other stories, then we'll break and we'll come back.
4: A uh, Portland family uh, wish they were warned by AT&T before charges on their cell phone bill amounted to $19,370. The Terry family's 200-page cell phone bill mostly lists text messages, which are covered in their unlimited plan. In July, their baseball empire son headed north to Vancouver, Canada, for work. Uh, uh, That's when... That David. Oops, hang on it. Well, anyway, the sun headed north to Canada, and that's when thousands of dollars in charges began to add up. He used a laptop with an air card to send photos and emails back home. The bill showed he used the service 21 times, but because he was out of the country, the activity added up to thousands upon thousands of dollars in charges. AT&T says the air card allows users to connect the email, the Internet, and business applications while traveling, but the company told the family that international use wasn't included in their oh, cell phone plan.
5: Oh, so sorry.
4: The Terry family said they asked an AT&T employee about the uh, service before their son left the country. They said they were told nothing about international fees. <laughs> Dave Terry said they were never contacted by the company to be alerted of the high cost. We have the bill, which normally runs between 250 and 300 on our cell phones. When AT&T saw the numbers going up over $1,000, I would think it's your responsibility to inform us that something was amiss because that card could have been stolen.
5: Well, that's just great.
4: An AT&T representative said they're uh, treating the matter seriously and are looking into it. According to the company, they hope to have an answer for the family in the next few days.
5: Excellent. Let's do uh, one more, and then I will uh, announce the glorious bastard of the week, uh, and then we will take a break.
4: Aha! Uh-huh. Barack Obama and John McCain will be in New York City on the seventh anniversary of 9-11. That, by the way, is the same day that uh, Ms. Palin's son is joining the
5: Army. I'm sure it's a coincidence.
4: Yeah, I'm sure it is. They'll appear uh, separately to talk about their views on the role of citizenship and service in the post-9-11 America. Obama graduated from Columbia in 1983, and McCain's daughter graduated from Columbia in 2007. Both campaigns recently have pledged not to run any negative ads on
5: 9-11. All right. Uh, let's see. we got uh, lots more. we got Geek Watch coming up. i got Snuff Watch coming up later on. Dorothy Carcesera from the Inquirer, the top five. Uh, this
4: uh... Pig barbecue that we should talk about. Oh, I
5: got another email about that today. I didn't have time it was to an read actual
4: it. Actual pig.
5: I know. I did. Am I
6: like not being included in the pig barbecue? No, well, no, a you know? pig. We don't care. No
5: one wanted to tell you, Sarah. Uh, the well, you know, Tim for a long time wasn't getting any CBS email. Isn't that right?
4: Yeah, I was. I was panic stricken. I, I think, was here
5: every day. I, think I can, <laughs> you're like Milton in Office Space. <laughs> I don't know. Tim just keeps showing up and reading the news, so we just let him come in. It's uh, he seems harmless. Now, Tim came to me at one point because I kept referencing. Uh, so there was this time, I don't know, a few weeks ago, I was coming on the air and I'd be like, hey, I saw the funniest thing in my CBS corporate email today. And Tim kept saying, I didn't receive that email and I'd say, Well I'll look into it. And then the next day I'd come, in, Hey, I got the greatest email from everybody today at CBS. Two
6: thousand eight.
5: And then Tim would say, I didn't get any such email. And I'd say and it turns out that Tim, uh all sort of uh, the paranoid ruminations aside, just wasn't on the list for some reason.
4: I so, was removed from a list. I was. must have looked at somebody
5: wrong. <laughs> the uh so I saw this morning in my inbox that there's some email about Pig Fest. I have time to read it. But here's the thing. I kept telling everybody that there was a real pig, and nobody believed me. So I was talking to Lisa Wood about that. Lisa Woods, like, they're not going to like like have an actual pig, are they? And I, of course it says, didn't it say in the in the original invitation, for which I think Sarah was gone, I think you might have been to New York when that happened, it says, like, we will be cooking a whole pig in the parking lot. Yeah. Which sort of prompts the question, like, I don't know whether they think they're going to find room in this back parking lot unless there's a whole lot of... Uh, Unless there's a whole lot of changes coming that I haven't been privy to. It doesn't really seem like there's a lot of space out there.
4: Well, well, here's the other part. Out of respect for vegetarians, they say
5: there'll be vegetarian options, but who wants to cook on the same grill as a pig? Well, everyone, Tim. So, And I think the larger question would be, if you are a vegetarian or a vegan, do you really even want to be in attendance about 15 feet from a giant pig that's being stuck in the ground and cooked all day? So, I mean... Doesn't really matter to me. I don't care. I don't just, know who
4: came up with this, really.
5: I don't know. It uh, it does seem a little odd. But you know what? I do have faith in the engineering department. Uh, if anybody... Because here's the thing. There's nobody else in this building that I would let near a pack of matches, much less near a giant barbecue where they're going to be cooking a huge animal. The engineering department, though, I have faith in those guys. I just I,
6: don't want to see a big frying... They're cooking pig. See, well, that, what
5: about our, our fellow Jewish employees? I, well, I suppose that the vegetarian options might be... Uh, I guess I guess that covers that base as well. Right, I, I don't suppose. Really know. Mm-hmm. A, you know, it really does prompt a lot of questions. No, and here's answered. the bad part: we need
4: someone to organize a cleanup crew. Not it. Not
10: it. No.
5: Nope. All right, so there you go. Who Thanks. wants to
4: touch the bride's snout?
5: <laughs> like smelling the glove.
4: <laughs> Who wants to suck on the pig's feet? <laughs> no one, Tim. And it states
5: the obvious here: the pig is heavy. Hey, I want you to save the knuckles for me. All right. Um, the pig is heavy. Does it really say it that? It says that, yes. Does that sort of go without saying?
6: Is it in your invitation? I didn't get anything today.
5: We should ask for the... What's the worst part of the pig we could possibly ask to be safer? for? The ears. I want the ears. Is that the worst part? What's the worst part of a pig other than its privates?
4: I believe all parts of pigs are... Well, uh, uh,
5: Pig's tail? Tim, Richie's just saying the butt. I don't know, but I don't think there's an actual butt on a pig.
4: Oh, people eat it. If you and it. I so think
5: people doing. do eat that part. Isn't that like where the? Uh, isn't that where uh, like ham I'll or, eat something, or like something? the flank. I mean, look, I don't. It, and I will say I am different than some of the other folks. I know Kristen Bowie is a vegetarian because she feels very strongly about yes, animal. Encourage people to come. Uh, Rights and whatever. Uh Tim is a vegan. You are a vegetarian by choice, a vegan uh by necessity. It, by, by necessity. Uh, the, I am none of these things, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. I'm a carnivore. I don't care. I don't care. see
6: anything in an animal shape.
5: I'm just saying the whole thing is, and I'm not even really averse to that. It's like I'm not squeamish about it. It's well, just a pig is shaped like a pig. It's just sort of weird more than anything else, don't you think? Are they going to do that thing of sticking an apple in its mouth? Probably. Is that a thing you really do, or is that a thing that's only in, like, old 50s sort of comics? You know what I mean? Where like, there's the illustration of the family having dinner. It's like, here's, a thi- here's two things I've never seen in real life. One, Pig being cooked with an apple in its mouth, and it's always called a suckling pig. What is that? Is that just code for baby pig? Hmm, I don't know. We're going to cook us a suckling pig. Suckling is, is a verb, is it not? Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that's just code for a tiny pig or piglet. I guess you can't say you're cooking piglet, because that sounds unpleasant, because then you just picture him and like it, you, you picture him walking on, you know, walking on his hind legs in a little striped shirt up to a grill. Uh, so suckling pig, that's one thing I've never seen in real life. Pig with an apple. Here's another thing I've never seen in real life. That that jive where it's like the uh, the turkey, and then they got those weird booty things on the drumsticks. You know what I'm talking about? Those little oh, yeah. white decorative things yeah, that yeah. go on the drumsticks. all the time. time. I've never seen those in real life. Maybe I'm not.
4: You see if those you things to... on the cooking.
5: Channel. Well, maybe it's because I'm from common stock, Tim. I'm from a small. T- I had the, the privilege of being raised in a small town.
4: Oh, like the mayor of Alaska.
5: Exactly. Maybe that's why we. Or go didn't...
4: to a grocery store like Safeway
6: or any of those like pre-cooked places that have the little paper ones with the little stuff coming off of the feet.
5: All right, Richie, are These calls about the pigs. If so, we'll take them before we break. Otherwise, it would just be. Uh, it would be too late. All right, we'll just take these. They need people to help set up. Well, I. Did you notice, by the way, when they do the the evite or the whatever, where it's like KUFO hey, will provide. I don't know, salt or something. The engineer will cook the pig. engineer will cook the pig. Uh, It's like jam, and it's supposed to bring, I don't know, ketchup, and then somebody else brings And then we're just off of that. We're not even asked to bring anything. I
4: know. Our call letters aren't
5: even in. We're not even mentioned in the invitation. What's really
4: strange about this is the theme is Latino.
5: What does that mean? I don't really know.
4: The theme is Latino. Am
5: I supposed to dress in a Latin style?
6: How come we don't have any responsibilities?
5: Well, you I think, don't think you know. I think don't think think you know, know the answer to that is because we're irresponsible.
4: It says CBS is providing the utensils and pig.
5: You know, why can't CBS provide utensils for the kitchen where we have to eat every day? Never mind, never mind, I don't mean to sound bitter. So, what do you mean the theme is Latino?
4: That's what it says here, the theme is Latino.
5: First of all, isn't that grammatically inaccurate because doesn't that mean that the theme is male? Yes. Uh, the theme would be Latin, would it not?
4: Maybe these, this is only for guys.
5: You wouldn't say the theme is Latina because that means I've got to show up in a quinceanera dress. Uh, So to say the theme is Latino, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't even know what that – well, it's going to – let's not move – let's not go any further into this conversation where we start violating all the laws and that blue book thing they made us do. Uh, Hi, you're on The Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
1: Yeah, Rick. I was just going to suggest if you want to save a gross part of the pig, say you want to save the feet to pickle them.
5: Uh, you know, um, pig's feet, pickled pig's feet, uh a thing that they actually still sell in some of the uh, smaller taverns and bars around here. Pickled pig's feet. All right, I'm gonna ask yeah. them maybe to save me the knuckles and the feet. All right, thank you.
9: Right. Oh, one, one
1: other thing. Yeah, I, uh, my favorite Madonna song. I've always wanted to tell you, uh, uh, La Isla Bonita.
5: Oh, La Isla Bonita is a great song.
9: Oh, I love that song. I, I just, yeah, great song. Thank you. All right, late.
5: Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello, Rick. Yes.
9: I would have to
7: say the snout
5: thank would you?
7: have to be the worst. So you, you know, kn- with all those little hairs and everything
9: on there.
5: That is true. Now, I mean, do they de-hair the pig before they cook it? Or does the hair just burn away, do you suppose?
0: Hmm. Depends on if they boil it or not.
5: All right. Fair yeah, enough. I don't know. All right, but then,
0: hey, yeah, hey, Rick. Yeah. go. English muffin, sourdough, wheat, white. Wow, what you
5: is- just, oh, man, you just blew my mind. All right, thank you. One more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Wow, that's freaking me out. I feel like time is running backward. Hello, hi. Hey, Rick,
7: I'm going to a pig roast tonight. I'm leaving tonight, and uh, we actually do put an uh, apple in its mouth, and we stuff it full of sausage, too, and uh, whole cloves of garlic and onions and uh, oranges. We stuff it full. Let me ask you this.
5: a pig with a pig. Yeah, what is the, well, that's the American way, Tim? What is the – you know what you should do? You should stuff the pig with bacon. We, we do that, too. You are so cool. You are my hero. Uh, what is the point of the apple in the mouth? Is it decorative, or does it add some kind of flavor?
7: Yeah, no, it's just decorative. It just looks cool, you know. It's it's just necessary, just to, to, to look tough and cool. It's Cause, pretty
5: fun. Because, uh, like uh, my wife and I made some trout a while back. You know, some whole trout, and the deal is like you like you take the trout and then we stuff the trout with uh. With garlic, lemon, and then tomato, and then, of course, as it cooks, it's sort of like, you know, whatever, it infuses it or something. But the apple you're saying is basically just because it looks righteous.
9: Yeah, didn't the Romans, when they they would, like, stuff a bowl with a goat with a pig and get down to the smallest animals, and then they put, like,
7: a live uh, chicken egg in it, and they know when it was done because the thing would, ha- when they took it
9: out, the thing would actually be incubated and hatched.
5: And this is the house that Jack built. All right, thank
9: you.
4: Yeah. All right. Fantastic.
5: How's everybody doing? Roast. Ready for lunch, Tim? Yes. Let's take a break. Back after this, more from Tim Riley, who's the greatest thing you've ever heard. Uh, later on, Dorothy Carceseri from the National Enquirer, birth of a salesman, top five and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Uh, radio Program. Don't go anywhere. i to
8: just name the place and I'm show you
5: where it's at. I'm Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. It's uh, 503-733-2970. Uh, coming up later on, we'll talk to today's birth of a salesman uh, entrant. Later on, Dorothy Carcassari for the National Enquirer, Lisa Desjardins, who um, I haven't watched yet. Somebody uh, somebody, sent me the video of her interviewing Charles Barkley, which I'm sure is fantastic. I mean, even without having seen it. Side unseen, I know it's gold. Uh, so we'll talk to Lisa. Uh, later on, we'll do today's uh, top five of the top five songs from the week of July 19th, 1984, and uh, it is High Concept Thursday, so we'll get to that later on. This is Tim Riley.
4: So the list from the Emmy Awards in Los Angeles is there's going to be a duo giving away awards at the Emmys this year, and they will be Kathy Griffin and Don Rickles. How Re- will that be? Really? Yes, yeah, September 21st on ABC. All right. Uh, yes, so uh, I guess they're the, uh, the main headliners. They'll be working together.
5: Oh, not just do, oh, they're doing the whole thing? Yes. Not just one award? No. That'll be interesting. Okay, that would actually get me to watch. Mm-hmm. I'll actually, but well, not because of her, but I'll, I'll watch because of Rickles.
4: Time in the suburbs. A man is on the run after grabbing a necklace and running
5: from a local jewelry
4: store. They're looking for a man who said he was going to buy a gold $1,300 necklace, then ran from the jewelry store on Southwest uh, Watson Avenue. This is in Beaverton. Apparently, the thief is a Hispanic man, 25 years old, five 5'5", 5, 150 pounds. At the time of the theft, he was wearing a light blue track jacket with one white stripe. A Washington County man facing several charges after he lost his temper with some teenagers and fired off his handgun. His name is uh, Jacob Wells. He got in an argument with some teens. He was uh, driving in the area of southwest Maryland on 112th, uh, just outside Tualatin, when the altercation happened. A group of teens were playing basketball in the street. Apparently, they didn't get away fast enough as uh, he got out of the car and got in an argument. Some racial comments were made. As Wells headed home, and the teens followed him to get us a license plate. At that time, Wells fired a handgun into the air. He went home, which was a short distance down the road. It appeared that he retrieved a handgun at one point. He started to shoot it in the air. Nobody was hit, and the bullets didn't cause any damage. Uh, the top of a tree hit, the, uh, hit a man who was logging in Coos Bay. Matthew Cohane was pronounced dead at the scene. He was uh, falling timber on Roseburg Resources' land off uh, Johnny Spring Road in Tiller, Oregon, for road-building operation when the tree collapsed on him.
5: Sorry about that. That was, the, that was me throwing a thing away in the background there. I didn't that's realize it. the same time it. as I said the tree tom- gonna be. Oh, really? Oh, that's unfortunate. That wasn't my intent. No, I, well, this it just is happened like, that way. That's like the fourth log death we got in, like, uh, three weeks or something.
4: It, it's a dangerous vocation.
5: They are rising up.
4: All right. An email survey sent to Grants Pass residents that offered $90 simply to answer some questions from a bank turned out too good to be true. A lot of people thought they were really in the money at Grants Pass with their $90. It turned out to be a scam run electronically from Spain. The email used a phony Home Valley Bank logo and asked for personal information the real bank said it would never request. And the, spam, uh, the spammer hijacked a phone number from a healthcare organization in Wisconsin as its fake contact number. Forcing the organization to waste time answering a number of angry phone calls before the scam was discovered. Home Valley Bank was uh, has blocked any transactions involving the scam. So if you're in Grants Pass and think you're in the money because somebody offers you ninety dollars, hang up.
5: You're a fool. You know what would be uh, interesting? Here's what somebody should do. I know I'm always throwing ideas for a little documentary. Uh, you know, you know the, the films, little investigations people should do. Yeah. Somebody ought to go and profile one of the guys who runs those email scams. You know what I mean? You know, like, the, you know, like the, what, the Nigerian bank scam or the this thing or the, whatever. You know, one of those guys, hello, I represent so-and-so who is incarcerated a political prisoner. I need your bank account number. And I'll give you $10 million. I mean, some guy has to sit down and write that letter. Mm-hmm. Some guy has to find your email address, send it out. And then if you're fool enough to respond with, really, sounds too, sounds too good to miss, sign me up. Some guy has to then take your idiot your email response and then begin the bilking. So I would like to see some sort of investigative piece where they actually follow and track and stay with and film a guy, probably under the cloak of anonymity, as he just scams idiot Americans out of their money via an email scam. Because I'd like to know, who sits down and creates that email? I mean, who sort of follows up? I mean, is it it one guy who sort of runs a criminal empire and then he just has a bunch of minions? Or is it just like a whole bunch... Is it like a freelance thing? Is it like a, is it like some sort of a uh, franchised operation where there's just a whole bank of guys sitting in an interca- Internet cafe somewhere, and that's what they do. They spend four hours a day working from home uh, bilking idiot Americans.
4: When uh, John McCain debarks on his final draft of the White House tonight, accepting the Republican nomination, he will be giving a speech on a hastily rebuilt town hall stage. Yes, there's a lot of talk going around about this, apparently... They're rebuilding it. Construction workers are uh, bringing delegates closer to McCain to give his uh, acceptance speech on a T-shaped stage, like Madonna has, Mm -hmm. but he won't be able to across or anything. The extended podium will serve as a fitting complement to John McCain's preference for direct interaction with his fellow
5: citizens. So they're rebuilding that stage now. So this is going to be like a Leno thing, so he can sort of go out... Be, be near the people mm-hmm. so they can feel so they can feel the cold, clammy hand of John McCain as he uh, asks for their vote. Mm-hmm. All right.
4: Lacamas County News. The county commissioners have approved an alternative work week for most county employees. The pilot project comes in response to rising energy costs. The plan calls for four 10 hour work days from Monday through Thursday in most county departments. About 12,000 employees will be affected. Wow, that's a lot. The new schedule will not not extend to emergency service providers, though. It'll exclude county agencies that are governed by a state statute.
5: So, why are they doing four 10 hour days? Is it, I mean, is the theory that it takes a lot of energy to get the office going? Or whatever,
4: or. It's a growing trend, one popular with many workers. 10 hours does not make for a long work day, but the employee spends less time and money on the road getting to and from work. Oh,
5: I guess a fair point. I guess your commute is lessened. Mm hmm. I I wonder how the employees feel about being told, though, that 10 hours is not a long work day. Yeah, not a long work I wonder if they polled the actual uh, employees about that or if if that was just a decision made for them. No, 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 you think 10 hours is fine. You don't need to see my – these are not the droids you're looking for. Here's a question about reducing energy and uh, expenditures and so forth. I mean, I'm not suggesting that they ever get rid of this, but you ever stop to, like, you're driving along uh, in any sort of city, maybe to take Portland, at night, and you look at that city skyline and how beautiful it is, and yeah, you ask really, yourself really is. how many dollars every year it costs to keep the city lit at night for no reason. Mm-hmm. Because when you think about it, that is, and again, I don't have any problem with it, but it is, it is purely an aesthetic thing, right? right? There's no reason to have all of the office buildings in downtown Portland or in any city lit up at night. There's no, no reason for it. It is simply an aesthetic choice. And I often, somebody ought to do just as, again, not to say this is an activist. I mean, it would, be, it would be stupid and, I think, ugly and weird. I mean, if you just turned the city skyline off at night, I think it would, ever, it would freak everybody out, for one thing. It would just look weird. It would just look like the Cloverfield thing was here crushing everything. Mm-hmm. But I would like to see just an interesting sidebar article on some sort of energy story, how much money it costs to keep a skyline that is being used for nothing lit every single year. I bet it's a staggering amount of money.
4: Why, that's a point to ponder.
5: I can tell you're not going to ponder it. That's the tone of voice indicating that you think it's a point for other people to ponder. You, however, will spend zero time pondering that. As long as it doesn't include the made-in-Oregon sign. Now, hey, now, I heard they were going to be changing that. Did you hear that, too?
6: I haven't heard that. I heard before. the University of Oregon bought it, and they were going to oh, yeah. change it to something like the University of Oregon that's instead crazy. of just saying
5: Oregon. Well, you know, it's like they already got rid of that, well, it's like the, the whatever, that 7-Up sign uh, on oh, yeah, the band field. So They got rid of that. Uh, and then they're going to be changing the Made in Oregon thing. That just Now, is the Made in Oregon thing, so you, wait, you heard that it was who?
6: That I heard uh, University of Oregon actually purchased
5: it. And that they purchased like, it? purchased that building. They purchased it from attached to the thing. From who? Was it like it the city on it, or was it a, a business? In other words, I private wonder.
4: concern, I believe.
5: So you believe the, the Made in Oregon sign was previously owned by a private business? I believe so. Well, then I. I then think I it
6: was, what I heard is that that sign was owned by the business to which the sign oh. is attached, the well, building.
5: Then that is their right in a capitalist society. Who can disagree? Mm-hmm. Um speaking of points to ponder, Tim, yes, so uh, we're not really going to talk about this now because why? I mean, we'll do it next week uh, when everything's over, you know, the convention's wrapped everything. But I got the new farmer's almanac here. Oh, yeah. And uh, first of all, they're no longer selling that toilet that vaporizes your poo, but they are selling. They've got Ed McMahon pimping some stuff. So I wonder if this is like a, a recent addition to his sort of panoply of endorsements. But oh, uh, I,
4: I guess the deal on his house
5: fell through. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Because he was going to get all bailed out. Wasn't somebody high profile by Donald Trump? Donald Trump, he was, was going to rent it back. Well, you know, but, Don, but Donald Trump. He was out there. Like, but all Donald Trump stuff fails. I mean, nobody ever really points that out. But uh, Donald Trump has all of these businesses, and then they all become famous for going under. I mean, Donald Trump sort of positions himself. And he's got more than I do, I suppose. But he's just constantly filing bankruptcy and things. Yeah. Um,
4: he can get away with it. You can't.
5: Uh, it's true. Well, it's because of his hair. His hair distracts everybody. So Ed McMahon here is pimping this, uh, what is it called? It is the premier walk-in bathtub. Oh, yeah. He always does that. And But look at, so look at Ed McMahon here. Look at his lower jaw. Tell me he doesn't look like a ventriloquist dummy. Yeah, he does. He looks like... Perfectly capped perfect... teeth. He, but these big lines on either side of his mouth. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's... he's got the mouth of a nutcracker. Mm-hmm. I mean, he looks like... He looks like either Charlie McCarthy, a Nutcracker, or a Terry Gilliam animation.
4: And that bathtub thing looks dangerous anyway. The
5: bathtub thing, I'm not
4: There's saying. Some absent mine you citizen is going to open that up and flood their house.
5: Well, that see, that's totally the deal. If you haven't seen the walk-in, so it's a bathtub. It's a, it's a it's basically a shower, um, with huge huge walls. Mm. So you can sort of walk it. Now that I think about it, what is the point of this? Oh, is it so? Is it so lowering yourself into the bathtub is dangerous? Yes. So you fill it and you then just you. Could... walk right in. Well, wait, that doesn't make any you sense. You walk into it. The... Can I see what it looks like? I don't even understand. Now that. It... I'm sorry, I just meant to make Dang. a casual observation. Now I'm all confused. I don't even understand how that works.
6: How big is it? Is he standing in it?
5: No, it looks not like he's sitting in it.
4: She's taking a bath by herself. Not
6: oh, okay, so can. it seals along down there.
5: First 10 customers get to bathe with Ed McMahon. <laughs> That'd be great. Let's grab my back. we you sponge my hard-to-reach areas. I'm just doing Larry King there. Uh, I don't. I don't understand how He's this totally works, like a Tim. Puppet. Tim, how does this work? I haven't tried it myself. What is the point? Is it basically just a bathtub with a door so that yeah. you don't have to step over the railing?
4: Yeah, so like two feet.
5: All right. I and That guess woman looks
4: it. like she's good enough shape to do it anyway. This
5: woman's like 40. Yeah. Uh, Ed McMahon is like Methuselah, so I can understand why he might need it. But anyway, so there you go. But uh, so uh, we, won't, we won't read uh, any more well, of the if farmers. Ed
4: McMahon, you probably want to drown yourself at
5: this point anyway. <laughs>
4: Make sure that door doesn't open. Keep the water running
5: <laughs> well uh I'm sure his wife probably wishes for him to have an old school bathtub let's put it that way no
4: she's shopping at the dollar store
5: <laughs> um the, that did you see that the,
4: all her jewelry.
5: Did you see that the dollar store might be raising their rates to a dollar ninety nine yeah that's a weird that's a that's a that's like that thing they do every year where they talk about the price of economy uh the price of of comedy rather mm-hmm. uh, the state of the economy and the price of comedy, and they say like how much does a rubber chicken cost? The dollar store, the national dollar store chain, or the 99-cent chain, you're going to make things like a buck ninety-nine. Boy, that's, you know, what? when you've lost the dollar store, you've lost America.
4: You know, the dollar stores in major cities like Los Angeles. They have more things than dollar, They have, like,
5: meat for 99 cents. It's it's amazing. I purchased and used, maybe you don't want to know this, I purchased and used toothpaste at a dollar store not too long ago. Uh, my wife and I were on vacation in San Diego, no toothpaste. And so we go into the dollar store, and there's some toothpaste. Now, it was sealed. But it was like it was misspelled, like fluoride was misspelled.
10: Yeah.
5: It was like fleur-ied. Uh and then it tasted like it tasted like lavender, yeah. and it was purple. It's
4: like made in Chernobyl. It, <laughs> although you didn't read that till after <laughs> you used it.
5: And it didn't have a screw cap. It just had this weird corky thing that came out of it. It was all very was weird. Stopper. But it was yeah really that's what it was. It was like a plug. But it was ninety nine cents, and I'm an American.
8: Well, they want, did the best they could. I want
5: I, want I want inexpensive consumer goods. Uh, you're listening to KCMD Portland. But anyways, this is my my one point not to talk about the Farmer's Almanac. You know what this reminds me of though. Do you know what I read for the first time in probably 15 years uh last weekend, Reader's Digest. So, which I sort of completely forgotten about. So, I uh my uh, but my wife and I we were in uh, in one of Portland's uh, small picturesque towns, sort of just enjoying a a day in the country and uh, stopped to have uh, some grub at the local proprietor of a uh, foodstuffs as they were sitting there, and of course, what do they always got to read in those places? They have National Geographic. They have a U.S. News and World Report from, no No lie, seven years ago. And then they have um, and then they have a bunch of Reader's Digest. Reader's Digest? I haven't seen this forever. And the Reader's Digest knew, because I guess they got a subscription. That magazine has really changed. It was sort of disheartening. I, I kind of wish, I don't mean to overstate the importance of Reader's Digest in my life, but that's a part of Americana. Would you agree? Yes. Did your family subscribe? Yes. Sarah, your family, Reader's Digest? Yes. Richie Bristol, your family, Reader's Digest.
4: No speaking English.
5: <laughs> I thought they had a Vietnamese edition.
4: It's published in like 200 languages.
5: <laughs> I'm sorry. I, uh, I know what you just said was funny, but I was busy responding to Richie's brusque yet amusing style of comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but Reader's Digest really is part of the American heritage. And I kind of wish I hadn't picked up a new issue because they completely changed. It was very disappointing. So first of all, couple things. On the back, remember it was on the back of every Reader's Digest. No, it was a reproduction of an oil painting. On the back of every Reader's Digest was a painting, and then they would give you the name and the artist. And it was always something really like Mona Lisa, plain. But no, but see, it was never that. It was like a picture of a sailboat. Like on the back of every Reader's Digest, what's this? Oh, that's a picture of. Um, it's a picture of a guy planting a tulip. It was just some very, very – like like the sort of art you'd see at the Value Village on the back of the Reader's Digest. That's gone. It was an ad for like some sort of – like a stool softening agent. Uh, and then the front of every Reader's Digest was the table of contents. That was the great thing about Reader's Digest is – I can't believe I'm having this discussion. I sound like I'm a thousand years old. But you would pick up Reader's Digest, and the front was the table of contents, so you didn't have to like do that thing of hunting through 15 pages of ads to like like you have to do in GQ or something yeah. figure out what's inside. You just look in the front. Drama in real life. There you go. Humor in uniform. Now it's all like hidden inside a bunch of ads, and like on the front is just you know some tool you don't care about. Uh, and then you know what they've gotten rid of, Tim? Laughter is the best medicine. No. Do you know what they've also gotten rid of? Campus comedy. They've also gotten rid of humor in uniform, and most unforgivably and inexcusably, they have gotten rid of life in these United States. What good is it? It's no good at all. Also, they've also gotten rid of that little thing they would do where at the end of every Reader's Digest article, they would have like a quote from somebody uh, or, or like a tiny little amusing anecdote. But it's like you would read these art and it's the last thing I'll say about Reader's Digest. Then we'll move on because it's a thing I then never need to talk about again. How many times do you talk about Reader's Digest? But they used to do this great thing. You would finish the Reader's Digest article, and that's why Jay Leno is America's favorite comic. And then there would be this little white space at the end of the article, because the articles were, like, you know, no longer than the average bathroom break. And so you would finish it, and they'd have a little bit of, like, like an inch or two to fill at the bottom. And so they would just pull some quote, like from John Mellencamp. So you'd finish the Jay Leno article, and then there'd be a quote. Ain't that America? There is nothing, There is nothing more sad or glorious than a generation changing hands. John Mellencamp. You know, and then, like, that was it. So it was like your homespun wisdom to go with your idiot Jay Leno article. It's all gone. It's completely changed. It's sort of a, a little a little piece of me died when I saw that. So I would just avoid Reader's Digest if I were you, everybody. Here's Tim Riley.
4: Well, they had the highest-grossing comedy of 1978, and now they're back. Uh, Cheech and Chong is uh, lighting up the box office with Light Up America. They're playing at the Hult Center for Performing Arts in Eugene. Thursday, November 20th. It is their first tour in 25 years, and tickets cost up to $55. They're dreaming.
5: The last cash-in, Tim. I guess so. Well, first of all, let's be honest. Stoners love to spend money on things that they don't need and things that ought to be a lot cheaper. Hey, you know, I could uh, use a regular pipe for $1.99, or I can spend $7,000 on a graphics vong with a jester skull. I mean, that is... uh, You want to talk about just a market you can just absolutely soak uh, just for everything? It is people who... uh, And I'm not passing any kind of moral judgment, but I'm saying people who are perhaps part of the drug culture, Mm -hmm. man, just lavish money. I mean, drugs themselves, when you think about it. I mean, cocaine costs a dollar to make, sell it for $12,000. I mean, it's just, you will never, I mean, that is the way to instant retirement right there. Now, I'm not saying you should sell drugs, but I'm saying, you know, were that legal. That's the way to financial solvency is selling drugs and paraphernalia. Uh, And Cheech and Chong have got such a big cult following. Can I tell you something that might make me a bad American? Sure. I don't like Cheech and Chong. I never did. I've never found them funny. Tim Riley, you? No. You're from the 70s. You're from the Flower Power and Me generation.
4: The thing that's most memorable about that album is you... It was the picture of a door on a car, and you pulled it out, and it showed the inside of the door with marijuana smuggled inside Mm -hmm. of it, as people
5: did back in those days. Uh, You're talking about the one of them with the car? Yes. Yeah. There was that, and then they did the wedding album, which I think was a separate one Mm -hmm. or whatever. And uh, maybe it's just because, uh, like a lot of people, you know what? Here's the thing with Cheech and Sean. Uh, their comedy records, anyway. And again, it's as we say a lot: we are proud capitalists, like everyone else in this country. If you can make a buck doing something fundamentally stupid, go for it. Then, then join me in doing so, because that's what I do. But go for it. You know what? Make your money while you can, because you know you, know, you, you got to gather ye rosebuds and ye dollars while ye may. But my thing about Cheech and Chong and their comedy records maybe it is because, sort of like how if you live with somebody, like I had this roommate who listened to Tool all the time, that band, and as a result, I never want to hear Tool or Primus ever, ever, ever again. Because this guy was my roommate. You go home every day, and you walk in the front door, and it's Maynard James goddamn Keenan going, Why can't we not? I mean, even just doing that just makes my skin crawl. Goddamn, I hate that band. And it's just because I had a roommate who played it constantly, so in high school, I had friends who just played that Cheech and Chong record all the time. All the time. All, and they were always high, of course. And you'd go over, and of course, when... And I think the thing about being high is, if you're stoned, it sort of removes that part of your brain that tells you... You know, it's like they say when you're drunk, it deadens the part of your ear that tells you when something's too loud. You know what? When you're stoned, it deadens the part of your brain that tells you, this isn't funny anymore. And so I would go over, you know, and I'd walk in the door, and the first thing here is, Dave's not here! And I was just like, Jesus, God, will you please, for the love of... So, I just, I don't like Cheech and Chong. I've never found them funny. I didn't find their movies funny. I find Cheech Marin himself to be really funny. And Tommy Chong is just sort of tiresome. So, you know, read that or buy it or watch it or whatever, or don't. I don't care.
4: KCMD Portland.
5: Uh, CBS Radio Station.
4: An 8-year-old boy was handing out hundreds of dollars in fake 20 bills at an elementary school, and so school officials turned him over to police. The fake bills were discovered when a child tried to use one to buy a lunch. An administrator then tracked down several other students with fake money. They all identified the boy as the one who gave it to them. He's been turned over to the Department of Children and Family Services after uh, learning his guardians had warrants out for their arrest. When, what
5: kind of guardians? Okay, well, and he was, doing, he was handing out what? Fake 20s?
4: Uh, yes, eight hundred eighty dollars worth. <laughs> Where at? At a school in Ocala, Florida. All right. Well, you know, a little. Uh, how old is he? He's only eight.
5: Well, you know what? That's that's an I mean, initiative, you know. Tim. I mean, that's you know, some kids run lemonade stands, some kids, some kids counterfeit. Mm-hmm. You don't want to screw with counterfeiting, though. I mean, I mean, obviously it's illegal. But the reason you don't even want to. I mean, counterfeiting is one of those things that will get you effed like you have never been effed before. Because you know who investigates counterfeiting is the Secret Service.
10: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, and they that is their bailiwick. And uh, if they even think you're trying to pass off fake money as real money, they'll put you in a hole and you'll never be seen again. Here's Tim Riley.
4: So Honda has unveiled its pure hybrid concept car today. And they hope to go head-to-head with Toyota's wildly popular Prius. The carmaker showed images of the Insight that will go on sale in the U.S. in the spring... The car will be sold only as a hybrid. It'll be a five-seat hatchback. It'll be priced significantly below hybrids available today. The only other hybrid car on sale
5: is the Toyota Prius. Can I make just a grammatical observation here? Yes. Just as one cannot act naturally, something cannot be a pure hybrid. That doesn't make any sense. Something is either pure or it is a hybrid. A hybrid, by definition, is a combination of things. One cannot be both pure and a hybrid. That's just impossible. Anyway. No reflection on the car. I'm just saying, can we please agree to use the rules of language we've all kind of uh, come to a consensus on, I say, ending a sentence with a preposition. Here's Tim Riley.
4: All right, we promise to do that from now on. All right. A Pasadena, California man has been charged with trying to run down three women who spurned his advances at Newport Beach. Brian Crowell faces a life in prison if convicted of several felony charges, including attempted murder. A spokeswoman for the Orange County DA's office said the women rejected his advances inside a donut shop (laughs) and told him to leave them alone. After they left the shop, the man allegedly drove at least 50 miles an hour toward the women and three of their friends before crashing into several concrete benches. One woman's foot was run over as she tried to jump out of the way. He's being held on a million dollars bail.
5: I'm going to go pick me up some ladies at the donut shop.
4: Donut shop dating. All
5: right. Uh, Richie, can we obtain the birth of a salesman entrance? Because we got to get lease at 115. That'll be fantastic. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello.
7: Yeah, Rick, you were talking about the uh, Made in Oregon sign. Yes, I was, I, was, sir. I was. White White Stag was a business that used to have that.
5: Oh, okay, right. And they've been out of business for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. No, fair well,
4: enough. And we'll, one more thing.
5: What is that one? Yeah, see, that's a guy. He he really telegraphed that, like, even more so than people typically do. Here's Tim Riley.
4: Well, it seemed he put a lot of effort into it. He did. Meanwhile, five years after British Matt and his family cremated and held a wake for their dad, John Renahan spotted his father on television live. The dad disappeared in 2000. When police found a decomposed body in April 2003 wearing similar clothes and similar wounds to Delaney, they declared it was him. The coroner confirmed the police findings. And uh, the family paper cremation and awake. He is now demanding an apology from police for the trauma suffered, believing his dad was dead. Turns out the 71-year-old man had been in a care facility since 2000 after suffering a head injury
5: and memory loss. That's weird. So wait, so they just kind of lost the dad because he had amnesia or something?
4: Unable yeah. to give any clues to his identity, he was given the name David Harrison and placed in a home. Then he was featured on TV about wow. missing persons.
5: That's weird.
4: Yeah, it is. Only in Britain. A uh, Brooklyn couple, slain in their home last month, spoke from the grave in drafting their last wills, leaving a bizarre legacy for unloved ones they detested in life. To my brother, who I know hopes to be in my will, well, here you are, chided Mark Schwartz, as he bequeathed nothing to his estranged sibling.
8: Excellent. Good for him.
4: In an earlier version, Schwartz had already left his brother the sum of zero, zero dollars, (laughs) singing... I believe this sum is fitting, as you're probably the most greedy person I know. That
5: is fantastic. I want my... I, man, I'm going to have a will just so, you know... Like uh, a spite will? Seriously, just, just a, a grudge will. Just so I can just a whole lot of, like, F you all. That is that is great. All right. You know, I know and I know that we have to talk to the birth of a salesman person, and write that to, to Lisa, to but we've talked about this before, about, the, you know, everybody ought to have a will. Isn't that right, Tim? I have one. Yeah, see, and I don't, actually. So I had a, I had a, I mean, I don't, you don't really want to leave
4: your wife with a mess, do you?
5: Well, I mean, I, but I mean, really like, let's just be honest. I mean, me being alive is like more of a mess to her than me being dead could ever be. Uh, at least me being dead, I cannot cause further problems. But, uh, it, it, well, anyway, we don't have time to talk but about
4: But by that. not doing one, she's going to think you misplaced it. Is that true? And after you go, she's
5: going to tear things apart for weeks and weeks and find nothing. Like the DEA looking for drugs, just cutting open the couch cushions. Uh, well, we should, you know, edit, uh, I would think, and uh, we'll talk to the uh, we'll talk to the birth of a salesman. Enter in like five seconds here. Let me ask you this, Jim: Your opinion as uh, as a radio professional, someone who has entertained the masses for many many years, doing it as only you can. Do you believe it would be interesting, compelling radio for maybe a segment or maybe even two uh, to talk about, uh, like to talk to somebody about like how, how you do a will and what's the point? And why should you do it? Would you find that interesting? Nah. Cause you don't think so?
4: Because don't i to do it
5: anyway. Because I sort of find it interesting. Like, I have no idea what's required and what you... Like, can you literally do things like, yeah, I'm going to leave you 10 grand, but only if you go collect like a chicken downtown. Yep. Can you do that?
4: As a matter of fact, I knew some people who, who were left uh, a large amount of money in a home with a stipulation that nobody can ever smoke in the house.
5: See, that's great. That enough right there almost makes me want to get a lawyer for one segment to talk about a will, because I want to put all kinds of crazy stuff in my will. Mm-hmm. I would like to leave money to complete strangers, but only if they're gonna do like only to make them like to make them do weird stuff. You know what I mean? Like leave like leave everything to, like if I were to die early, leave everything to my in-laws, mm-hmm. but like only but they gotta like vote uh, they gotta vote Democrat like the next two elections. <laughs> I mean I wonder what they would do. Bring oh, a okay. uh, uh, sample of your finished ballot and drop it on my grave. Oh I'm totally doing this. All right. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, the latest intro of the AM 970 birth of... Do I have something on my upper lip?
6: No, no, my upper lip is itchy. Oh,
5: and I thought you were doing that thing like when somebody has well, something in like nose. The right uh, let's see. Uh, we are canvassing the entire country for the next uh, AM 970 salesperson. We've asked people to submit in 100 words or less why they would be uh, the next uh, AM 970 uh, sales uh, expert. And we're going to talk to ten on the phone, five in the studio, and then uh, three uh, lucky contestants. We'll talk to Michael Pashana, who's the general sales manager of AM970, and perhaps one of them will walk away with a job. It could be you. So let's talk to, let's see, this is the entry. And, Tim, I want uh, maybe your thoughts on this. It says, I would would like to be a salesperson for AM970 because I need a job. I am a struggling actor who could play the part. Initial thoughts, Tim? Hmm. Well, let's see how good he is at this. Let's see if he can act like someone who really wants the job. Uh, let's welcome now.
7: Bada
5: bing. I don't even deserve, I didn't even deserve a fake bada bing. Jesse, hello.
7: Hello, sir. How are you doing today?
5: I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Jesse?
7: I am great, and I can tell you why. Please do so. Because today I'm just a little bit better than everybody else. Because of all the millions who have proposed to be at the birth of a salesman, today you chose me.
5: Did you prepare the speech? Is it written down, memorized, off the cuff? What?
7: No, I'm kind of a babysitting at the moment.
5: I was going to ask what that noise was in the background.
7: Yeah, let's just forget about that.
5: Now, is that your own child or is somebody else's child?
7: Um, we do not know that.
5: All right. <laughs> kind of like John McCain. Wow, that's not huh? a... John McCain, but oh. uh, John Edwards. Mm-hmm. Hey, Over...
6: you stop being so vague. Is mm-hmm. it your Overshare
5: there? Well, let's move on. Uh, so, uh, hey, on the classic 1 to 10 scale, how hot do you find Sarah Palin? Whoa. Wow, what was that? What happened there? We're Richie, did we up. lose uh
6: Maybe the child took hold of the phone. Maybe
5: the child hung up the phone. Well, unfortunately, uh, we're going to do this. We're gonna have to do this real quick, Richie. We got uh, Lisa in how long? Like three minutes? Two minutes. Two minutes. Well, that was bizarre. No, that's not a very good uh... first impression. Let's see if we can get Jesse back here. That's kind of strange about the kid. <laughs> Let's not talk about it, he said. I, I hope have... it
4: doesn't turn into be a problem in the office. <laughs>
5: well, that's why they've got leashes, Tim. All right. Are we going to... Uh... Hey Richie, at this point we'll probably have to talk to Jesse later on today, or quite possibly tomorrow. We got to do uh, Lisa here in a second.
4: Maybe the baby is choking.
5: I know the baby making some weird squally noise. I mean, I guess that's what babies do. Yeah. As is their want. All right, is this uh, is this Jesse? Yes,
7: sir. I'm so sorry about
5: that. All right, what was that all about? Oh. You got to uh, be able to use the... a phone properly in this job.
7: Yes, sir. I, I do know how to use a phone. All right. It was uh, it died at the moment.
5: All right. On the classic one to ten scale, how hot do you find Sarah Palin to be? Oh, I'd say seven. All right. You. Does that baby need a tasing? Be honest. Yes, yes, sir. All right. Yes, he does. Right answer. All right. You said you're a struggling actor. What was your last acting gig?
7: Well, I did. I had an audition for Burn Notice, but I did not get it. So what? that is quite depressing.
5: What was the last acting gig for which you were paid?
7: Miami Vice. Really? Yes.
5: What did you do on Miami Vice? The movie or the show?
7: The movie. What'd you do? And, and the show,
5: but yes. What'd you do in the Miami Vice movie?
7: I stood in a bar as they were fighting and yelled out, O.S.
5: Really? So are you in the finished product?
7: Um, You can barely see me and you don't hear me.
5: Okay, but but you are there, but you can be glimpsed on screen if one knew what to look for. Yes, sir. Excellent. Uh, from what actor or actress have you stolen the most of your technique?
7: Ooh, that's a hard one. Um,
5: well, I'd say Rick Emerson lately. That's the right answer. You are going to go far uh tell me a little bit about the audition process so i know uh, some actors when you audition in here in portland what's that like is it nerve-wracking is it tough is it easier than other cities what how does that work for you uh it is a
7: lot easier here people are friendlier but um if they're mostly B movies around here so they're they're nicer friendlier people just read a script and they either like you or you don't
5: um so sarah can we possibly can you ring would it be possible for you to ring lisa or maybe just let her know that we're going to get to her right away I hate for her to be trying to call in here. Um,
6: I don't have her number. Does Richie have it? Okay.
5: Uh, Richie, I, I think does. Okay. I mean, no, normally we would never do that. And Mike tell her to keep that call between you and her. You know what I'm saying? All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, acting audition, blah blah blah. All right. So, um, I don't. Know, there's a question on the tip of my tongue, but I'm wondering if I should ask or not. Uh, does as an actress, sir, do you have union representation?
7: Not at the moment. I did not pay my fees.
5: I see. That tells us a lot, doesn't it, Tim? Are you
7: on honorable withdrawal? Yes, honorable indeed.
5: All right, but you're not—you're not like scabbing it or anything.
7: No, sir. I'm—I'm right, you know, I'm just trying to make a buck right now until I get back into it.
5: You know what? You're just a you your man just trying to make a living in this crazy world of ours. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Uh, because you are an actor, we we'll do a little bit of role play here. So you be the uh, salesperson attempting to sell advertising on AM nine seventy, and I'm going to be the client. And my first words are. I don't know. I uh, yeah. I don't really have the money to advertise right now.
7: Well, you may not have the money now, but let's take Vizzo, for example. Have you heard of this great beverage? I, you know, I'll say it's taking a sip. Well, if you listen to Rick Emerson, you probably would have heard of it. As a matter of fact, if you see anyone holding it around, ask them if they listen to the Rick Emerson show, I'm sure they'll say yes. <clears throat> Any advertisement that Rick Emerson does, he does endorse and does it greatly. It will bring your product to new levels and new heights. Well, uh Is this
4: a phone red script? Sounds <laughs> like cool calling to me.
7: No, I don't want to talk in my regular voice because I'm kinda of raspy.
5: No, raspy is good. It gives you sort of a sort of a masculine air, sir.
7: Well then let's do right. it.
5: Uh if AM nine seventy were a movie, not just me but the whole station, if AM nine seventy were a movie, what would it be?
7: Ooh, we'd have to make our own movie in a world where all is evil and nothing is what it seems. A man from a little speck called Stumptown brings a new innovative reason to live in hearing aids all the time. All right, well,
5: I would, I would say you've got a kind of ragged enthusiasm. All right. Uh, all right. Before we go, sir, what is your favorite Madonna song? Uh, like a Virgin. All right. There you go. It's a popular choice. All right. We will be in touch, uh, in touch one way or the other. Jesse, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. All right, they go, Richie, uh, I want to make sure. Okay, yeah, and my apologies to Lisa. All right, we'll get to uh, Lisa Dejardins. Oh, All right.
4: The you. Dow Jones just took a, n- a nosedive, closing nearly 350 points on unemployment and retail data.
5: Well, it's a good thing that it... Stocks now. It's a good thing they didn't mention the economy last night. That's how uh, important patriotism is. You know, I, I have to say, much, and I find myself, I, I never really listen to or pay attention to or give courage to anything Paul Begala says most of the time. Because he just manages a lot of losers. Yeah. And I love James Carville, but the public just seems like kind of a douche a lot of the time. But he said two really good things last night. And I will recite both of these things again when we talk to Lisa. So you have to pretend to find them interesting, man. Two things. One, you know, they kept talking about the liberal elite East Coast media. And can I just say, as, a, as just a little slice of personal observation, don't we all know that when they talk about big city New Yorkers, don't we really all know what they're talking about there? I mean, when a certain kind of, in my opinion, when when a certain kind of person on the ideological spectrum says New Yorkers, I think it doesn't necessarily take a brain uh, scientist and rocket surgeon uh, to figure out it, what that's a reference to. Uh, I will also say this, though, um, that they were talking about, well, you know, the liberal Eastern elite media and Anderson Cooper then was sort of like the rest of the night kept referring to himself jokingly as part of the eastern liberal elite media and whatever. Paul McGowan made a really good statement. He's like, you know, when you're sitting around the table, as everybody apparently does in an election year, you don't on a couch, not a chair. You're always at the kitchen table. Reading to their children. Reading to their children and reading to the children and, you know, I don't know, like, uh, like churning butter or something. Nobody ever sits around and says, uh, honey, how can we vote to annoy Anderson Cooper? What, how can we vote so we irritate James Carville the most? I mean, people are just like, how, how am I going to pay this rent of mine? How exactly is it that I'm going to fill this SUV that I ill-advisedly purchased? Nobody ever sits around, unless you're me, and thinks about how to vote just to annoy people. I'm the only one who does that. Nobody else does that. Um, Paul Begala also made a really uh, great statement, too, uh, about uh, Cindy, uh, Cindy Palin, Sarah Palin. And I will get to that as part of this, our discussion with Lisa Dejardins. Joining us from Minneapolis-slash-St. Paul, hello, how are you today?
2: Hey, how are you guys?
5: I'm fantastic. Sorry about the delay, we had a little thing going on there.
2: I I know, it's all right, it's all
5: good. All right, so um, just uh, first, uh, just out of the gate, your observation strictly as a political observer in terms of doing what she needed to do... On the classic one to ten scale, where do you put Sarah Palin's performance last night? Uh
2: It depends on the group you're talking about. Doing what she needed to do for Republicans out of the park for this That's election. Sure.
5: For this for election. For this
2: election. Yet to, it remains to be seen. I, I don't know yet. It, it, it feels like it was a, a a speech that maybe edged her up a little bit, uh, but it, it didn't it didn't take any points away, which I think is is good. I think people are still interested, but but I think maybe some people might have been turned off by by the sarcasm and, and, and kind of the, the battering ram against Barack Obama. Uh, but other people might have liked it. So it might, might be a wash on that. But I think Republicans liked it. In the end, that's, that's going to help her and McCain. They loved it.
5: I would say that, you know, and I don't even necessarily mean this is a bad thing, because I guess maybe it was part of the strategy, she did come off as unbelievably smug at times.
2: You <laughs> you're the first I've heard you use that word. That's, that's interesting. We, I, you know, because now that I'm a talk show host, uh, you know, we had a bunch of callers, and and we people were kind of making that point, but they weren't. They, they probably should have used that word, because that seemed to be what they were saying. Yeah,
5: no, that was. I mean, again, yeah, you know, you got to do what you got to do, and politics is a dirty game. And as we said, every fight ends as an on the ground street fight. That's just the reality. So maybe smugness was called for, and certainly uh, she is the punching right fist of that ticket. Uh, just as Biden oh, is probably going to be for yeah. Obama.
2: I had no idea that's how it was going to go. Do you think... She really... Yeah.
5: I'm sorry. I was just going to say, do you think that they deliberately managed the expectations for her so that when she gave such a fiery, powerful speech, it would be even more resonant?
2: It's possible. I don't know. I I got to think about that one for a minute. Um, Because, you know, the truth is, they really didn't do much with the expectations. They, They sort of put her out here... They gave the resume. Uh, we knew that she had been – that her nickname was Barracuda Sarah. You know, we knew that. We knew she was tough as governor. I honestly think it was a little bit of, hey, let's just let sexism work for us. Everyone will assume that she's, a, you know, just a sweet little woman that's going to, you know, tell her family story. And, you know, she'll come out punching. I I think – I don't know that they had to manage it too much. I think it was kind of societal that you, you look at her and on, that, on and Dayton, she, she's – Good-looking woman. She's a mother. She's got a cute family. And you kind of think, oh, that's nice. We're going to have this really, you know, family values woman. And then she comes out punching.
5: Um, a couple of things. And, and you know, yeah. it's funny. I already heard uh, some of the Democratic strategists last night saying that they almost don't want to talk about her because they want to keep the election about George Bush. They don't want to make the election right. about her. But it's interesting that even, I mean, within half an hour last night, I saw the Democratic talking points starting to coalesce. Yeah. And the talking points I kept hearing last night, and it's amazing how these things just sort of, you know, somebody somebody sends out a memo or a Twitter or something saying, like, here's what you're going to say. And the thing, and I think this is a little bit of sexism uh, against her last night, the thing that the Democrats started saying last night almost immediately, they were saying two things over and over again. Uh, things that were not said about anybody last week, and frankly, I don't think these things would have been said about a man. But they said this about Sarah Palin. They kept saying, "Well, she can read a teleprompter." And then the other one was, "Well, somebody sure okay. wrote a good somebody wrote a good speech for her." And of course, you know what? No one writes uh-huh. their own speeches. People write speeches for everybody. Nobody. You know, Barack Obama did not sit down at the kitchen table and write his own speech. Uh, it just doesn't happen. You at least have it polished or
8: uh, co-authored well, that, by people. Now the
2: Obama campaign says he wrote most of that speech nah, last week. Nah. So, you know, we we, you're right. we don't we have no we, we assume that they don't write their speeches. For, for men and women.
5: But I don't hear it said about anybody but her, and it does seem like they are trying to sort of maybe enfeeble her a little bit in terms of perception.
2: Oh, that's interesting. I don't. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm on board that ship. I think we know that Bush. Uh, Bush's speechwriter was writing her speech. The McCain camp was open about that, and we know that she was working those long hours, supposedly on the speech. Um, I don't. And I, th- I think when you're a, when you're new to the national stage like she is. Uh, you wonder how are you going to deliver the speech, and right. I, I think the teleprompter thing is just because John McCain is so awful at it.
5: Right, right.
2: So it's kind of a like, well, he's got—they've got one person that's good on the teleprompter.
5: Um, let's see. Just a couple other things for and, and I don't want to get—I don't want to get bogged down in a lot of this stuff, but it does. Just part of my observation of the media bears—it bears noting. Last night I saw. Let's see, it was Donna Brazile, Campbell Scott? No, not Campbell Scott. That's Georgie Scottson. Campbell, Campbell Brown. Brown. I keep saying okay. Campbell Scott, and that's the guy from Singles. Uh Campbell Brown, and then Paul Bagala and somebody else. But they kept th- literally two whole segments last night. They were debating the meaning of the word shrill, because that's what and, Harry you know, Reid immediately that. said. Yeah. yeah, and Harry yeah. Reid was like, she's very shrill, and then was like, is that sexist? And so now yeah. everything is going to be filtered through this prism this prism of, is it sexist, obviously. Um
2: Yeah, I think the word shrill is definitely, I mean, that is a... Oh, you used that word. You're definitely, you know, you're you're risking. I I agree with what Campbell Brown said, but they definitely did stay on that subject for a long time. Do you? I think she's right. I think it's it's a risky word to use, but you know they used it. Based
5: on based on based on based on how hard she came out punching last night, and I apologize for our overlap. I can tell there's a little bit of a delay when we're talking here. But oh um, yeah, sorry. uh, Based on her coming out punching last night, is it gonna make it easier for Joe Biden in the debates, in that they can probably take the gloves off with her?
2: Uh I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I think if if she keeps this up, yeah. But it but it remains to be seen that if she's going to go back and forth on this. If she's going to keep the baby on the one hip and then keep the shotgun on the other hip as as people like to say.
5: Do people uh, like I, to I say that? Do people really I, use know, that I, phrase? I feel
2: like I've said it twice a day and I feel like it's such it's kind of it, I don't know, it's sort of a no brainer image, I guess, the baby right. and the shotgun. So I feel like other people probably are saying it. So I don't feel like it's a very creative
8: phrase. <laughs> so
5: John McCain talking tonight to sort of wrap up the whole thing, and it does seem on the one hand it can't help but be anticlimactic. On the other hand, uh, you know, it's very important, and you do, I'm wondering, and maybe, I mean, you probably do know this, since John McCain, A, probably does not want to, and B, certainly would not want to be seen really talking about his own past, his being a POW. I mean he does seem very much above that. He doesn't seem like a guy who himself uses
2: he use, has been, that's right.
5: Uses that card. So the question is, what's John McCain gonna do tonight?
2: You know, he he on the campaign trail, the truth is he for years and years he did not want to talk about that. Didn't talk about it very much. But on the campaign trail, he's he's brought it up more more and more. And I think, and I'm not, I'm not, I think people could interpret this as being critical, but I I don't mean this in a critical way. I I think it's just a point of fact that the the campaign tactics he's using now in this presidential bid are very different from the campaign tactics we've seen uh, him use in other runs, especially just in the last couple of days. They have come out swinging against the media, you know, which is good. You know, we need to be roughed up every now and then, keep our, keep in line, I guess, or, you know, keep on our toes. But the attacks on the media have really, I think, been kind of exorbitant. I don't know. You know, we're here to take them, but it's, it's something he had never done before, and it's kind of a classic, uh, I don't know, Ralph Reed, Karl Rove, Republican tactic that John McCain really never turned to before. So they're, they're playing hardball in a way that that I had that John McCain didn't used to do. And, and so I wonder if, if the rules for his speech – Are also going to be a little different. We have heard him talk about the POW experience and pretty much every speaker yesterday brought up the POW experience. They, they know that that's a strong suit. It's an incredible story. They get that. And I I think he's, he's going to have to make an allusion to it of some sort. To me, the big question tonight is, is he going to, is he going to be a good cop or a bad cop? Right. Is he going to, you know, is he going to let Sarah Palin be the the pit bull and he's going to be the nice guy or is he going to throw some punches too? And is he going to, are they actually, is he going to talk? About the issues, or are they going to keep this kind of on that, uh I hate to say it, kind of like a cultural war level, which is kind of what we heard last night, really old-fashioned Republicans, they're bad, we're good. I mean, both parties do that, but, but Republicans are especially good at it when they try, and they they were doing it last night. I
5: wonder if Pat Buchanan trademarked the phrase culture war. He really should have.
2: Uh, he should, He definitely should have. Um, yeah, Pat, Pat Buchanan, now, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh,
5: speaking of, uh, just as we're to wrap this up because I know you've got a, a billion things to do, um, uh, speaking of sort of Republican advisors and strategists and thinkers. I mean, if I have to tell you this. If the Democrats do not put together a TV ad that runs that Peggy Noonan soundbite when she thought she Hi. was off mic, back-to-back back with Karl Rove talking about Tom Kane as being less than three years governor and the mayor of a tiny town, therefore he shouldn't be vice president. If the, if the Democrats don't put together that ad, they deserve everything that they're going to get. I mean, that's it. If they, they don't,
2: have to be working on that. They if, have to be. If they,
5: you know, if they don't, they don't deserve to win ever again. Ever, ever, because ever again.
2: Jennifer, they, need, they need to dissolve.
5: I mean, that's it. I mean, really, though, they, I mean, this, it, they're just being handed things like this. And maybe they'll take advantage of it, maybe they won't. But if they don't do something with that, then they ought to have, I mean, if, if they do not use that in the election, uh, they ought to have their running for election license taken away. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, All right. Final thoughts, observations about the energy in the hall before we sort of wrap it up. Uh,
2: Yeah. I mean, it it was definitely a blood sport, but I, I was surprised there were more. Nobody was tearing up during the speech, but after the speech when I talked to some of the delegates, there were two grown men who started to cry when they kind of thought about their daughters and what this meant. It was it's very like a Hillary Clinton moment, but for Republicans, right. I was really surprised.
5: All right, Lisa, as always, a pleasure. Uh, we will talk to you, uh, I guess, tomorrow around the same time. Yes,
2: yeah. sounds good. Oh, you know, I've got to uh, we'll figure it out because I'm I'm flying somewhere tomorrow, but I, I think I think it'll work.
5: All right, well, we'll we'll figure it out. We'll uh, we'll talk. Okay,
2: look, we'll, right. we'll thank we'll talk.
5: you. There you go, Lisa Desjardins, ladies
6: and gentlemen. Did anyone send you this interview of uh, Lisa uh, Desjardins interviewing Charles Barkley?
5: Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. Oh, I haven't seen it either. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's see. It's 1:30. All right, so much to do, it's so a little time. Hello, Tim Riley. Greetings. Hey, did you see this button last night? I made a note of this guy wearing a button, Hoosiers for the Hot Chick, which is either dumb or brilliant or quite possibly both. Um, okay, so here's what we got to do. We we'll talk to Dorothy Carcassari here in a while. We we'll got the top five, top five songs from the week of Geraldine Ferraro's nomination, which is July nineteenth, nineteen eighty four. More news from Tim Riley um, and, uh, you know, uh, and some uh, advertisements from our many paid advertisers. So, Sarah, what should we do? Should we break? Should we do a couple more? Let's get,
6: the, let's get the break out of the way.
5: You want to take a break? We'll come back. More headlines, then Dorothy, then other things of that nature. All right. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. We're back after this. More headlines from Tim Riley. The National Enquirer around the corner later on. The top five high-concept Earth Day, Your call, say, The Rick Emerson Show. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. Thank you for coming along. 503 733 Just a Scotia, we'll talk to Dorothy Carceri for the National Enquirer. Uh, let's see, what else? High Concept Thursday coming up uh, later on. Do today's top five. Top five songs from July 19th, 1984, uh, which is the date of Geraldine Ferraro's nomination. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley. And now, now. Though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is
7: Tim
4: Riley. She's simply delicious. We're talking about Cindy McCain... So we'll speak tonight with Katie Couric. We have a little piece of the interview here. here we can listen to some of it. Here
8: we go.
3: She's not the least bit shell shocked. She is. She's tough. She's. Uh, she's smart. She's extremely, in, extremely uh, on target with what, with what the, the job she needs to be doing. You no, know, she's very. She's an amazing woman. <laughs> she really is. I'm so I'm confused. Very impressed with her. So
5: that's. When did you and?
4: That's Katie Couric speaking. Okay, so you've probably it's... never heard her. Katie Couric speaking about. She's interviewing Cindy McCain.
5: Oh, I see. Okay. Who's All right.
4: Speaking about Miss Palin. All right. Okay. So here's another question from Kitty Curry.
11: Okay. Your husband first discussed her as a mm-hmm. possibility.
3: A while ago. A while ago. We have, as you know, we, uh, John and I, did pretty much discuss everything, and he brought her name up to me some months ago, mm-hmm. uh, after the primaries, of course, and uh, and as as he did a lot of names. I mean, we were thinking about a lot of different people, and. Uh, Sarah was in that mix and uh, I'm very happy he chose the governor I couldn't be happier in fact and when he he called me and said okay I think I'm going to do this I was uh, if I could I would have done backflips (laughs) I'm too old but I could (laughs) have do you
11: feel confident Mrs. McCain that the vetting process which is getting a lot of attention was as thorough as it needed to be and that Senator McCain knew everything
4: he needed to know.
3: Well, I was right in the middle of it. And I know the vetting process was thorough. Uh, I knew what was going on, so absolutely it was...
5: Curry Couric some something to tan. And I was just going to say, does it seem to you that Cindy McCain doesn't have enough skin to cover her head?
4: Are you know what I mean? It's she very has, taut. Well, she has that horse head. And then that skinny little body, and she wears Nancy Reagan
5: red.
6: Maybe she has skin buns behind her ears.
5: I will see the other. Thing. I was going to say that she almost has like. I was going to say she kind of looks like a Q-tip with hair, sort of. You know what I mean? But she does have that long, stringy kind of cryptkeeper hair going on. All right, five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Let's welcome another the Rick Emerson Show from the National Enquirer, the nation's premier newspaper. Now welcome Dorothy Carcasseri. Hello, Dorothy. How are you today?
11: Hi, I'm great. How are you? Rick?
5: I am fantastic. So uh, quite a, uh, I was going to say quite a day, quite a week, but quite a month, you guys. You guys are on a bit of a roll over there.
11: Absolutely. That's what we like to be
3: on.
5: <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, so we did, obviously, John Edwards was, I don't even remember what that was. It seems like both yesterday and, and a long time ago. But so there was John Edwards, which then, you know, sort of rolls right into this, uh, this Sarah Palin thing. So. I'm going to clarify a couple of things that we sort of heard. And obviously, you know, I, I had emailed you over the weekend and I, I should have known. In fact, I did know when I emailed you. I knew in my bones that you guys were already on the case. But I was like, hey, what's up with the Palin thing? But when did the Inquirer first start kind of when were they in Alaska looking around? When were you guys first there on the ground kind of looking into this?
11: As soon as she was announced as the Republican VP candidate, we were on top of the story.
5: I have to say that in my head, I don't know if this is the reality, but I picture just a just a huge uh, National Enquirer Learjet. You know what I mean? Just, a, just like it, you know, like the Concorde or like a G5 or something with National Enquirer on the tail. That's just sort of standing by, running all the time out on the tarmac, and it's just, you know, Sarah Palin to to you know to the uh, you know to the scoop mobile or whatever, and then you, you go down the pole into the plane, and then you're flying to Alaska, and you parachute in, and then you just start knocking on doors.
9: I mean,
11: uh, I'm hysterically laughing right now. What a mental image! That's I'm, why. That's why you're an excellent radio host because you can paint such a great mental image like that for your listeners.
5: Well, here's the thing. Even if that's not the case, you ought to let you want to make people think that it is. You want to, you know, that that's a, an image you ought to try to implant in the minds of everybody. Let people believe that there is such a plane standing by at all times. <laughs> uh, um. All right. And so, as I understand it, so the Inquirer kind of went to. Uh, the Palin family, because it was odd that this revelation came from the family and not the campaign. And is that because the Inquirer basically said, you know, kind of knocked them and said, "Look, like we, we got the goods. You know, what are you going to do about it?"
11: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we we knew we knew about her daughter being pregnant, you know, before she announced it. Obviously, uh, we're always in the know about things like this, uh, and certainly that kind of revelation started gaining some traction, and quite possibly. You know, McCain and Palin thought it would be better to come out and announce it, which they did.
5: So, to whatever extent you can, you can speak to this, and I know it's sort of a. This whole thing is a bit of an unfolding story, and it's a work in progress and all that. But now, there was this sort of latest revelation where the McCain campaign is taking, in my opinion, the unwise step of threatening legal action against the Inquirer for something else that's developing. Can you talk about that?
11: Well, you know, this is something that. We've certainly heard, you know, times before this, it's not the first time somebody's threatened legal action for something that's been printed, but, you know, our investigations are very thorough, our sources are very good, and time always ends up proving that we are right from the beginning and the end.
5: Um, uh, that is a uh, that's a great you know as Bob Woodward would say that's a great non-denial denial denial right there Um, (laughs) is is it true uh, we're talking to Dorothy Garceseri from the National Enquirer new issue goes on sale uh, tomorrow is it true that the Sarah Palin was trying to get the the daughter sort of married off before the story came out
11: Uh, it certainly has been you know written about the fact that she's been kind of forcing this Uh, you know this is still an investigation that's uh, still happening, you know, as we speak, actually, and so we're going to have to see kind of how it develops because some people are saying that, you know, some people are saying that this is the choice of, of the children, but really this is kind of, you know, such a, such a topic that's so close to the family that uh, you know, we,
5: we may never know that. Uh, I'm looking at the cover of the, of the new issue, which is going to come out. It's fantastic. It's that, it's that kind of uh, cover, the Inquirer, really just nails better than anybody else. It's a picture of Sarah uh, Palin, John McCain, and then in huge print it just says, Sarah Palin's dark secrets, which is just all that is glorious about American journalism. Uh, what else is uh, coming up in the new issue that uh, people may find tantalizing?
11: Well, another part of our story, are, are we talking still about Sarah Palin? Or uh, you we know, we're talking on, about
5: whatever it is you'd like to alert the people to, my friend.
11: Should we move on to, uh, to Hollywood? Absolutely. <laughs> Brittany, uh, let, let's talk about David Duchovny. Uh, I think you know that he has admitted himself into a clinic for uh, sex addiction. Mm-hmm. And our story reveals that he actually had been cheating on his wife for years.
5: no. Uh. Oh, ah, oh, we lost her phone. Uh, oh, that sucks. The companies are jamming us. All right, Richie. Um, all right. Well, you know, it looks like we lost Dorothy there. I know she's on a real tight schedule. Will you let her know that um, Richie, we'll just pick it up with her next time. I know she's those guys are kind of harried right now. Uh, so we either call her, email her, and let her know that uh, you know, the will uh, yeah, we'll pick it up the next time we talk to her. So uh, we had a bunch of the company stuff, which is. You know, it's sort of weird she talked about that because that Leone was saying the thing, ah, no, he's he's all on the porn addiction and whatever. So,
6: oh, so he was cheating.
5: Well, so, so oh. says the inquirer. So say we all. Um, I don't even know where to where to go with all of this. Um, let's see. First of all, uh, you know, we got to get most of these observations out today. We'll uh, continue with it uh, with uh, Tim Riley and his news here in a moment. Did you see? But you see that Levi kid, the the baby daddy. Did you see him last night? Boy, that's a kid who looked just like a deer in the headlights. I mean, he looked more terrified and uneasy than anybody has ever looked in their lives.
4: Well, the girl herself, Bristol, every time they cut her, she had the
5: biggest scowl on her
4: face. Oh, yeah. oh but she was,
6: like, molesting his hands the whole time, too. She's like, look at how loving we are and kept touching her stomach. I was, like,
5: mm-hmm. uh, was she wearing an engagement ring? Anybody know? I didn't notice. I didn't anything. see it. But She looked like trouble, though. But I'm gonna, yeah, well, it, 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 I got to be, well, I, okay. Nah, I was going to make an observation, but I'll wait. I'll wait. Uh, I was just going to say that that, uh, how do I put this? I think any number of people have, in their past, sometimes in high school, sometimes later, uh, known or been familiar with girls who seem a lot like the Palin girls. Let's put it that way. There are things you can tell just by looking. Uh, But then that Levi kid, he had that look on his face like, holy God, what have I done? Because imagine you're him, right? And you're just, you know, you're just banging some hot girl. And then the next thing you know, I mean, there's like like the the, the multiple levels of, like, crap, right? Like, ah, she's the governor's kid. Then it's, oh, God, she's pregnant. Then, can you imagine, then unbelievably, oh, my God, uh, my girlfriend's mom is going to be the vice president of the United States quite possibly uh, and probably hates me because I just got the daughter pregnant and might have screwed up her run. I mean, that is like... I mean, usually I'd be spending the evening knocking somebody's teeth out with a hockey stick (laughs) (laughs) because he kicks ass, Tim, because he's an effing redneck. Uh but he just I mean, you you gotta imagine that guy, his life has just gone from like zero to F in the space of uh, you know, about oh I don't know, he's a teenage boy, maybe sixteen seconds. Uh I mean just, you know, you know oh, oh crap to holy god to Jesus Mother Mary. Uh he did not look like he was having a good night last night. And that uh and the husband, Todd, I guess his name is He didn't is, say uh, much. He didn't say anything and he by the way uh, like a, it, he does seem incapable of finding his razor. I mean, I don't not the grooming coach, but I mean, you know, it's not like you, it's not like you're going to, uh, it's not like you're going to T.J. Fridays. So, um, but you know that she didn't call it a snowmobile last night because I think they know that sounds silly. What does the husband do? He spends his time riding a the snowmobile. They wouldn't call it that. They kept calling it a snow machine. And first of all, I'd say that that's not the only snow machine that that uh, campaign seems familiar with. And secondly, I think snow machine is a little term they've come up with because they think it sounds less dumb than spending his time riding snowmobiles around. You know, like his wife while well, his wife is pushing out a fifth kid.
4: All right, here's Tim Riley. Let's do a cannibal watch. Here's your. Really?
5: Yeah. Excellent. Here's your cannibal watch for uh, Thursday on the Rick Emerson Show. Eat it. Eat it. It's getting
6: old, we eat it. wow. wow, wow.
4: The family of a Winnipeg man beheaded and uh, cannibalized aboard the, the Greyhound bus has launched a lo- wrongful death suit against his alleged killer. Lawyers for Tim McLean Jr.'s family said the goal of the suit is not money, but try to spur improvements in bus security aboard Greyhound. Uh, let's see. They're entitled to $30,000 in damages. And the other family members, $10,000 under uh, Canadian law, apparently.
5: Yeah. Sort of like, but, you know, that's one of those lawsuits that I guess you file just because, A, I mean, obviously you're traumatized and so forth. But, B, that's where, like, a lawyer swoops in. Says, we're going to get us some money. Because, I mean, well, how much money could that guy possibly... He's riding a greyhound. I mean, what could he possibly have to get... I mean, let's you could just sort of sue a guy for his kidneys or something. I mean, that's what they ought to do. If you're indigent, they sue you. If they sue you for your bone marrow.
4: So here's another part of the story that we didn't hear before today. Long-haul trucker Christopher Alguar admits that there was a point as he faced a man with a knife who was attacking the body of the passenger whether he considered whether or not to kill the guy with his meter-long metal rod that he grabbed from his truck. Now, apparently, this uh, truck driver saw the bus pulling up the side of the road, so he stopped to see what was going on. Uh, Somebody yelled at him through the window as uh, he slowly passed and a man was stabbing somebody aboard. So he pulls over, grabs a metal bar out of his truck, sprints for the bus. He said the driver of the ill-fated bus was in shock. So a second driver from another Greyhound bus, who was also stopped, was guarding the door. Now this truck driver was familiar with weapons. He said that he uh, saw the driver holding the door closed, and together they shoved the bodies against it to keep it closed. (sighs) Soon afterward, the driver boarded the bus to see if any passengers were trapped, and this uh, trucker had his metal rod ready, but then he decided, hmm... What chance do I have nice. against a knife? Screw this. Yeah. So he got off. Yeah. So this is the first we've heard of that part. Yeah. Uh, so this is a, apparently maybe he'll be part of this lawsuit also. So that's that.
5: Uh, let's see. Well, let me just do. We'll do these calls. I'll do a few notes, and then we'll take a break. Yes. Sure. Uh, we'll come back. We'll do. Uh, we'll do. We'll do uh, punchlines. We got punchlines for Dennis Miller tickets. Uh, we are having uh, people create their own original punchline to the fabled unfinished Breakfast Club joke. It's posted on my website if you uh, if you don't know what it is. And uh, best punchline is determined by us at the end of today's show. Uh, win a pair of passes to see, uh, pair of tickets to see Dennis Miller live at Spirit Mountain Casino uh, next Friday. We're going to be doing that uh, all week, and then next week we got the tickets to his Saturday Night Show uh, as well. I think we're going to talk to him next week about that. Okay, let me do these notes, then we'll do the calls. So I'm just going to get—I'm to blow out all my convention notes from last night so we're done. Do you catch that Robert Duvall was the guy who did that uh, that big film about America? No. Uh, they, they had this big, uh, you know, sort of America rules. Uh, kind of film where it's like, you know, the Amber Fields of Grain or whatever. and uh, But Robert Duvall is the guy who narrates it. And to be fair, it wasn't a partisan film at all. It was just like, you know, America kicks ass, other countries suck, and, you know, stuff that everybody can sort of agree on. But it was weird to hear Robert Duvall do it because if you're me, I don't know if you do this, but when you hear a celebrity, sometimes like John Voight, who I guess it was, maybe he was last night or tonight, hmm. doing something or other, um, it, but you sort of picture like the character saying it. So as, as Robert Duvall is talking, I just keep picturing Tom Hagen from The Godfather talking about America. Let's see what else do we have here. They missed a huge opportunity by not having Joe Estevez uh, do do anything last night. Nice. Because Joe Estevez, we've talked about, he is Martin Sheen's less talented brother, but he sounds just like Martin Sheen. So the Republicans really missed a trick by not having Joe Estevez uh, like do the uh, like the Cindy, uh, the Cindy McCain or or Sarah Palin thing.
4: Oh, did we play the Noonan and Murphy cut, the edited one?
5: Uh, I have not yet. No, I have it though. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, somebody texted me this last night. Uh, this is Chris Neathan. Hey, Rick, did you know that HBO started Idiocracy the exact same time Sarah Palin took the stage? I'm sure it's a coincidence. Uh, what else? Did you? I saw last night they found the one woman who switched uh, candidates because of the, the female thing. Her name was Cynthia. And Cynthia's like, well, I was supporting Hillary Clinton, but now because I want to vote for a woman, I'm switching to Sarah Palin. Clearly the only woman like on the planet who's doing that, but they did manage to find her. What else? Bob Dole. Bob Dole looked bad, but then you realize he's one of those guys that became old at a certain point and then has just stayed at that age. Uh, let's see. What else? Um, they have this young, sort of Aryan-looking uh, kid who is like the youngest delegate to the RNC convention. He's like some flat-topped. T- he looked like Ed Harris in um, Apollo 13, mm-hmm. but he's all like, you know, he's the youngest delegate and he's there to cast his vote or whatever. And he said, they said, what do you like about about um, Sarah Palin? He said, she's a hardworking housewife. I like that. So that tells you what you need to know. Uh, let's see, Carly uh, Fiorina, who was the, um, she was the head of HP for a long time. She is hot, absolutely hot. What else do we have here? Uh, I keep waiting for Huckabee to say Shazam. I think I already said that. Uh, Giuliani. So they have Giuliani up there. And he's, you know, the standard bearer for the Republicans and all, and CNN did the niftiest little thing. I don't know whether this is, uh, you know, a little bias showing through or whatever, but the entire time Giuliani is speaking, CNN has on the chyron, uh, these are facts, by the way, this is uh, not allegations, these are facts, where they say Giuliani is pro-gay marriage, pro-choice, and pro-gun control. And they kept that on the screen underneath him the entire speech. Uh, what else? Oh, here's the thing that Giuliani said. This is weird. I don't even know whether this is offensive. It's just strange. Did you catch? And I and I played it back three times on the TV to make sure that I was writing it down correctly. I don't even know what this means. When Rudy Giuliani talking about 9/11, as he is wont to do, and he said, "When they say Islamic terrorism, they're insulting terrorists." Yeah, that was weird. I don't know what that meant either. What does that mean? And, and I no matter. Heard, the cr- the crowd screamed. And I played it back several times. And that's the actual quote. If they say Islamic terrorism. They are insulting terrorists. So, this is just my read on this as I diagram the sentence in my head. If you look at that sentence, based solely on the words and the way in which they're put together, that sounds a lot like he is saying Muslims are worse than terrorists, and it is an insult to terrorists to say that they are of the Islamic bent. That's not me saying that, of course, but that's. I've looked at that sentence like a hundred times, and. That's the only meaning I can get out of that. Is that Rudy Giuliani believes that Muslims are worse than terrorists? So, And then he started laughing like a maniac a couple of times, which was kind of scary because he's crazy, Tim. Uh, you know Oh, and he, you know, here's the other thing. A couple more notes, and then, we'll, and then we'll take these calls and we'll break. You know what Rudy Giuliani looks like? He looks like the school teacher puppet from the wall. Not the actual school teacher, but the puppet, where it's like they show. You know what I mean? Where it's like the where it's like the wife hitting the puppet. And he has
6: the stick with the really long fingers. And everything. Totally, yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. Where it's like and it's like the animation of like the like the wife puppet hitting the teacher puppet, who hits the student puppet. Giuliani looks like the school teacher puppet from the wall. Uh, let's see, Levi looks terrified. Uh, how long till a morning show does a parody of Levon called Levi? How long was the applause? Hockey moms for Palin. Oh, for the love of God, Sarah Palin. Pundits has one N. How hard is it to speak properly? One N in pun- pundits uh let's see uh, sarah palin is diana from the miniseries v i keep waiting for her to unhinge her jaw and eat a gopher uh what else husband has husband is an eskimo and then i just put wtf next to that uh let's see sarah palin is best speaker except for bill clinton Hoosiers for the hot chick uh she did have a great line she had a fantastic line about barack obama when she was talking about his economic plan, and she said, you know, when he's done turning back the waters and healing the planet, which is just like, just like it, a line said just just like the snarkiest line, just like the smuggest line, but absolutely got the crowd going. Um, And then, final note, Tim, Mm -hmm. then we'll uh, see if you have any uh, final observations before we wrap this up until uh, tomorrow. Did you catch when uh, Sarah Palin was talking about the election, and she she talked about John McCain, and again, I played this back to make sure I had it right, and then I wrote it down. When Sarah Palin said, John McCain, I'm quoting now, is the man to see us through the next four years. No. Not eight, four. So I have, no, I have no explanation for that. I don't know why she would have said that. But she did, in fact, say, John McCain is the man to see us through the next four years. Draw your own conclusions. One call, then we'll break. We'll come back. Uh, Punchlines, high concept uh, Thursday. More from Tim Riley. Top five. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Yeah, hey, Rick Emerson on KCMD Portland. Hello, hi. Thank you, sir.
9: You're welcome. Um, I uh, we took our honeymoon up in Alaska. We took a Princess Cruise up to Alaska and uh, on a, a tour bus, and actually went past the governor's mansion. And the uh, the kid who was driving the tour bus. Said, and there you see the governor's mansion. Who um, The governor there is the a woman who is single
1: handedly populating the state of Alaska. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Fantastic.
1: So
9: that's a good time for
1: Excellent. The time.
5: Thank you. And apparently Levi has the word Bristol tattooed on his ring finger.
9: I wonder how new
5: that is. Oh, I think he's rubbing cream into that as we speak. <laughs> Let's take a break. Back after this, it is the uh, Rick Emerson radio program around the corner. Uh, Punchlines. High concept Thursday, top five and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Just a moment, we'll start reading some of your punchlines uh, for Dennis Miller tickets. You can go to rickemerson.com right now. It's about the two or three posts down, I think, right now. A couple, a uh, couple new additions there, but uh, you go down, uh, I think, two, three. You'll see the text of the Breakfast Club setup. It is the uh, fabled, much-discussed, never-completed joke from The Breakfast Club. Uh, in fact, I'll read it here in just one second. Uh, best punchline to that joke, It, by the way, must be of your own creation. Can't be found on a Google search. It's got to be something you came up with out of your own brain. Uh, the best uh, punchline to that joke today went to pair of uh, tickets to see Dennis Miller live uh, next Friday night, Spirit Mountain Casino. And I think we're going to have him on the show uh, next week to we'll talk about that. And we're going to be giving away uh, uh, tickets to both Friday show and Saturday. So we'll do punchlines in just a moment. Phone calls, High Concept Thursday, Tim Riley, et cetera. Hello, Sarah.
6: Hello. Do you know the story behind that? I mean, did he ever actually write a punchline for it?
5: No. John Hughes, um, can we uh, pause for a moment so I uh, slug down some viso? Mm-hmm. All right. What should we uh, What should we play now, then? What should we play? Hold on a what I'm talking about. That's the stuff. Alright. Mm. Uh, I gotta get some coffee too. Should I also have coffee to chase that Viso?
6: I believe so. I need some coffee All
5: right, as I'm well. Over here, gotta drink that down one second.
8: Ah, that's what I'm talking about caffeine,
5: it's what makes America strong. All right, so. Uh no, John Hughes, when he was writing the Breakfast Club, and I think he's been asked about this a bunch, um I'll ask him again if we ever get him on the show. But when John Hughes was writing the Breakfast Club, there's a the whole speech, uh, the scene where uh where Judd Nelson as John Bender is climbing through the sort of rafters or the you know, whatever, that diehard thing that all the buildings seem to have in the movies. And he's and there that there's that music playing underneath that no 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 and he's crawling along and he's doing, so so and, he, and he does the whole thing where he's like kinda laughing and he goes a naked blonde walks into a bar with a poodle under one arm and a two-foot salami under the other. She lays the poodle on the table. bartender says, I suppose you won't be needing a drink. And the naked lady says, and then he falls in and he swears, which is why we're not going to play it on the air. Um, But so we are looking for the best original punchline to that joke. And John Hughes said he never, that he always wrote it you know, to end with with John Bender falling through the, the, the ceiling. So he never had to have a punchline. So uh, that being said, best punchline to that joke that comes out of your own head, uh, that will uh, win those uh, Dennis Miller tickets uh, today. Uh, real briefly, I'm going to read this. Uh it says, about baby daddy, please, 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 please stop saying baby daddy. Are you a 15-year-old girl? Here's the thing. I realize that it makes me sound like a MySpace girl if I say baby daddy, but, here's the, but but it says exactly what you mean to say in probably fewer words than anything else could. What else am I... And I, and I ask you this... Have you ever this. heard
6: that baby daddy song? No. Oh, my God. I cannot believe you... You know that why? One.
5: Because I'm not a 15-year-old girl. But I ask you this seriously. Is there something else I should be saying? Because when I say that, everybody knows what I mean, right? I'd say something else if I could think of something else that was short and descriptive like that. But you know what? When you say that... About, you know, the, the Sarah Palin, everybody knows what you're talking about. It conveys the idea in the fewest possible words. So that's
6: true. I mean, in the fewest possible words, yeah, if that's the only option. I mean, I always just say, like, the father of a child.
5: See, I'm not trying, and I'm not trying to say it to sound like hipper or cooler than I am, because clearly it makes me sound like a tool. But, you know, language is all about getting the idea across as quickly as possible. And it does seem to convey exactly, because if you say the father, people might think you're talking about Todd Palin. You mm-hmm. say baby daddy, everybody knows who you're talking about in that family. So, you know what? You, you all come up with a better word, and I'll use it.
6: Well, or else you'd be thinking of the father of Sarah, you know, of the, of the challenged child.
5: And that, of course, is Todd Palin, Sarah. Mm-hmm. All right. Of course. Do you regret a little bit that her name is Sarah and it's spelled the same way yours is?
6: Yes. And then when I heard all those, like, crazy-eyed, like, Midwest wives, I, I was looking at their yeah. crazy eyes and they're all, like, chanting Sarah.
5: <sighs> kind of oh, yeah. somebody got to isolate that and send it to us where people are chanting Sarah. Hey, somebody get on that. All right. Uh, let me just read a few of these. Um all right, I'm going to read a, uh, some of these punchlines, and I think we have some on the phone as well, something like that. All right, so let me just... Uh...
6: We've got to hear... I mean, they've been really good, but I can't wait to hear one that's just All like, that's it. Right.
5: All right, so I'm going to read the setup here. I'm going to read the setup one more time, and then we'll do some of these punchlines, then we'll do High concept Thursday, then we'll break, then Tim Rangley, then, the, then the top five. Uh, let's see. The setup is as follows. Naked Blonde walks into a bar with a poodle under one arm and a two-foot salami under the other. She lays the poodle on the table. Bartender says, I suppose you won't be needing a drink. The naked lady says, I'm supposed to meet someone here named Richie Bristol. Hmm. You know, I I think just referencing the show doesn't necessarily make that funny. Uh, let's see. Um, how about this one? The lady says, I bet you say that to all the naked ladies with a poodle and salami.
10: Hmm.
5: No. How about this? (sighs) No, I'm not going to use it. It has an unpleasant pun on the word salami. Uh, How about this? Uh, Wait. The bartender says, I don't suppose you'll be needing a drink? And the poodle says, no, she's fine, but if I have to rescue the skinny guy one more time, they're both going home. (laughs) I don't even know what that means.
6: You know what that means. I
5: don't. Does that mean something blue? All right. Well, okay. There's that. What made you laugh? That made you, don't act it out for me, please. I can see you getting ready to act it out. (laughs) Uh, Well, that did make you LOL, so that carries a little bit of weight with us. Uh, Let's see, what else do we have here? Other punchlines for the Breakfast Club joke include, and I tried to print these out, by the way, the printer kind of went belly up on me. Other punchlines include, does it really look like I don't drink? That's kind of funny, actually, because if you're walking into a bar with salami and a poodle, of course you look like you're going to be drunk. All right. Bartender says, I suppose you won't be needing a drink. Naked lady says, no, I'm just here for the atmosphere. <sighs> That's a bad idea. All right, let's see, what else do we have? Do I have any others that really need to be, that need to be read right now?
6: Uh, is anyone waiting on, on uh, the phone? Wait, how about, it?
5: Maybe. We'll see. We'll get the calls in a second. Bartender says, I suppose you won't be needing a drink. The naked lady says, actually, I'd love a drink to wash my mouth out. And the bartender says, why is salami bad? Okay, now that's pretty good, because that's a callback to Islamabad from yesterday.
2: Yeah, it's a callback. But...
5: And she's got salami under her arm. Why? Is salami bad? I mean, a little cleverness there.
4: It's clever.
2: All
5: right. I'm clever. All right, well, well, we'll do more of these later on. We will try in vain to find one that stands out above the pack, the fray. Uh, by the end of the show. Let's just do these calls, then we'll do High Concept Thursday. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
9: Oh, is it me now?
5: Yes, it is. Hello. Hi. Excellent. What's up?
9: Hey, talking about isolating. The yes. Everything is great. The re- reason I was calling was Barbara Carciceri, Barbara Carcassari. Dorothy Carcisserie. Dorothy, thank you. Um, that laugh that she did when you talked about having the uh, the jet waiting for the uh, Scoopmobile yes. and all of that, you should totally isolate that and use that as a sounder.
5: It was It, a, was, it was a great laugh. I have to say that. It was perfect that. and it was standalone. It is true. Now, that see. And you know, and bully for you for spotting that. I mean, rare. I mean, rare is the audience that a can identify those moments and then b actually further clarify by saying that it's a standalone soundbite that does not need further editing. So good for you, sir.
9: Thank you. I should have been in Birth of a Salesman. Right. Anyway, uh, the other thing is yes. I wanted to talk about or, no. or mention is. The This is America. Yeah. Robert Duvall? Yeah, that's cool with the uh the Godfather thing. But I'm thinking when I heard it, Colonel Kilgore.
5: Oh that true, yeah. That uh Charlie don't surf And nah. then I actually went a little further
9: to the original Frank Burns out of the movie MASH.
5: Uh yes, Mash. okay. The movie. No, so there's that you could and you could also go the network route too, uh where he's Frank Hackett. Talking about, the,
8: two hours ago, I was a sun god at CCA, <laughs> the heir apparent.
5: All right, thank you. You're welcome. I can I recite all kinds of, thank you, sir. I can always uh, recite a of Robert Duvall crap. All right, uh, let's see. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up?
1: A uh, couple of clarifications. Yes. Uh, the, the Rudy Giuliani thing. Yes. He was in the middle of saying that what, what he brought it into play was that they never used the words he said Islamic terrorism in the Democratic convention right. he was saying that they
9: didn't do it because they were afraid that they would insult terrorists. I think that's how he meant it. but never came across that way it's...
5: but that's a weird statement because uh, and again, I don't mean to get in the head of Rudy Giuliani. it's still a weird statement because just looking at the linguistic structure of the statement, what it means is if the phrase is, if they say a lyric, uh, Islamic terrorism, they're going to be insulting terrorists that means that one would have to believe that muslims are worse than terrorists it's Understood. a we, it's a weird thing to say
9: right no i, I but that yeah. i think that's what the context yeah. is.
5: maybe do you think maybe uh, he just mangled the words as they were coming out of his mouth somehow
9: he always does
5: all right okay fair enough
9: all right uh second
1: thing yeah. uh, i'm from wisconsin mm-hmm. and if you talk to anybody from the north woods of wisconsin or upper michigan and point out a skidoo or a polaris
9: them and ask them what it is they will say snow machine
5: really so that's like so snowmobile is sort of a thing that is that like an industry term is that something that one of the manufacturers sort of created correct okay I did not know that see and I'm always fascinated by local linguistics and dialects all right thank you for uh, thank Thank you for the clarification all right there There you go two more Uh, hi you're on the Rick Emerson show hello
1: is that me yes it is hello sir how you doing today, Rick? Uh, I, have a, I have a phone number that I figured you would probably be the best one to uh, maybe disseminate that
9: information to. Uh, I was just given Sarah Palin's home phone number well, by somebody who knows her.
5: Now, well, first of all, let's clarify for anybody who may be listening uh, from any governmental organization, we, we will not be disseminating Sarah Palin's home phone number. Okay, well, then never mind. I, I appreciate the offer, but thanks. Yep. All right. All right, right there you go. Thank you. Yeah, that's not going to be a thing we do. I don't need guys who talk into their uh, shirt cuffs coming to uh, speak with me. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hello. Hello, it's you, sir.
9: Hey, uh, I got the punchline. She says.
5: Uh, All right, hold I on. Believe... Let me let me give you the let me give you the setup. So the bartender okay. says, "I don't suppose you'll be needing a drink."
9: She says, "Actually,
7: that's the last thing on my to-do list."
5: That's kind of funny. All right. Well, well done. All right. Put you on hold, Richie. Get that guy's info. That's kind of funny. All right. Uh, we are taking uh, submissions for the punchline to the fabled breakfast club joke. And by the way, be glad that I'm only holding this to one day because the ending of the breakfast club joke could be another mystery sound that just goes on for years. Mm-hmm. How about this one? Naked blonde walks into a bar, poodle under one arm, salami under the others, lays the poodle on the bar, uh, poodle on the table, bartender says, I don't suppose you'll be needing a drink. The naked lady says, No, but after what the dog just did, the salami could sure use one. See, but I don't even know what that means. I think that it's supposed to sound blue, but I, I don't even really know that it works. Uh, maybe. Did you?
6: Were you just playing them, or did you really like the Saving the Skinny guy one?
5: I, you know, I think I've got some possible explanations for it that cropped up in my head, but I'm not really gonna. Yeah.
6: Yeah.
5: Uh, let's do a couple more here. Uh, let's see. Bartender says, "I don't suppose you'll be needing a drink." Lady says, "No, but I sure need a cigarette." Mm. All right, and let's see one more here. Uh, bartender says, "I don't suppose you'll be needing a drink." Lady says. Of course I need a drink. Otherwise, how will I be able to let go of my inhibitions? Well, that's just creepy. Uh, let's uh, move on. Uh, do you believe we have time to do the high concept Thursday? Right now? Yes. Mm, yeah. All right. Because now, because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of things sort of early because you know that the, the sort of, uh, I don't want to say the weak link, but the sort of neglected child lately on the show has been the top five. Mm. So I'm trying to structure the show going forward so that we get to the top five more often, doesn't get bumped so often. So, in your estimation, we got break, Tim Riley, uh, high concept, top five. Yeah, long is, time. is one of those things going to have to go?
6: No, I mean, since we've done a lot of news today, I mean, if we just do a few news stories after the break, that might um, suffice the best.
5: So, in what order, Sarah Dillon, do you believe we'll do things here?
6: Why don't we do the high concept now, then take a break? It's a, it's a pretty small break, then do a couple right. of Tim and top five.
5: Okay. Uh, let me find this here, and I've actually got your description. Uh, of how the high concept is going to be phrased, because I couldn't quite figure out how to do it. Um, so because we've been talking so much about the smoking ban recently, and we will be doing uh, more of that as we head toward the fall and uh, the end of the year when the smoking ban takes effect here in Oregon, just like it's taking effect in Washington, just like they have it in uh, California. Uh, so we've been talking a lot about dive bars, the atmosphere of a dive bar, what makes a dive bar. So here is your high concept topic for this Thursday at 503-733-2970. Things that you see in a dive bar, or a longer version of that possibly. Things you see that let you know you're in a dive bar. And that's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970 for today's high concept discussion. Uh, Things you see in a dive bar that let you know it's a dive bar. It is 503-733-2970. It's high concept Thursday. Things you see in a dive bar that let you know it's a dive bar. Sarah Dillon, would you like to start us as you often do?
6: Um, I guess what I always see is like old Mardi Gras paraphernalia. Totally. Anything like that's just been left up all year round, like be it like beaded necklaces or some sort of, you know, like party favor stuck to the walls.
5: Something that is, uh, strictly speaking, a seasonal item, but has obviously been left there not just for a little while, but probably for decades.
6: Yes, seasonal item is exactly it.
5: See also the Christmas tree at my father's place, which is in the corner and covered with cobwebs. And they don't even really change it except at Halloween when I think they put yellow. I put the, like, orange and black lights on it, but I think it's just untouched the rest of the year. And I'm pretty sure that it wasn't by design. Like, when they weren't trying to do it to be clever, like one of those kind of tchotchke places where an alligator with sunglasses, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I think at my father's place it was quite organic in that they put the tree up and they just never bothered to put it away because why bother? you got oh, to take don't... it out again next year.
6: They mean it. They yeah. really mean it. I leave my Christmas tree up all year. Totally. I have like, a little one on top of my TV that I just leave up all the time. You're a
4: good American. Mm-hmm. All right. I used to have to meet my consultant at a place called Ted
5: Sizzling Steaks,
4: where they left those 1960s aluminum Christmas trees up all year round with a flashing uh, circular thing with the different colors.
5: Excellent. All the time. Yeah. All right. Things you see in a dive bar that make it a dive bar. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. High Concept Thursday. What do you got? Hi. All right. Thank you. All right. I, we gotta, oh, I guess we have one more punchline here before we can get to the high concept. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello.
9: Okay. I've, I've got the punchline. You want to set me up?
5: So the bartender says, I don't suppose you'll be needing a drink.
9: Of course I'd like a drink. Vodka, tonic, extra lime, and I think I've got your cell phone at home.
5: I don't get the last part. I don't either. All
9: right. Sarah Dillon and the the cell phone's on the front porch.
5: Oh, yeah. All right. Now, that's one brush stroke too many on the punchline, but I like where you're going with it. All right.
9: All right. Uh, hey, too hey, much hey,
5: hands hey. for the uh, high concept. All right. Hey, uh, Richie, can you make sure we have his info here, and then we'll make the rest of these high concept calls. All right. Uh, hi, Rick Emerson Show. What do you always see in the dive bar that lets you know it's a dive bar? Timmy Ryan. <laughs> Strong out of the gate. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. How do you know it's a dive bar?
9: Uh, pickled eggs or uh, a big screen TV that's a
0: projection, not at, like an HD or something Oh, totally, like, like the
5: old school with the huge, like, yeah. three with, tube with this, things?
0: With the three, with the red, green, and blue lenses, yeah.
5: Completely, and it's all, like, kind of, and it all, and it looks... made up of thousands of dots. And it's all dim looking? Yeah. Yeah. And pickled yeah. eggs, good one on that. Thank you, sir. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, High concept Thursday, how do you know it's a die bar?
9: How about your own reflection in the mirror?
5: Sarah, what does he mean?
6: Wait, you mean like Rick's personal reflection? You mean my like reflection? You can see no. At a bar.
9: This is supposed to be high concept, guys.
5: I, I don't. Okay, all right. Thank you.
9: I know plenty of fancy I, bars I, with I Yeah,
5: I don't get that one. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. How do you know it's a dive bar?
9: Um, you've got a hot, tattooed bartender
1: working next to a seventy-year-old, three-pack-a-day woman named Flo.
5: No, no, that's absolutely true. Or a guy named Smokey. Yeah. All right. right. Excellent. Well done. Uh, Hi Concept Thursday, how do you know you're in a dive bar?
7: Yeah, it's
10: full of hockey moms.
5: Hmm, okay, thank you. All right, there you go. Uh, Hi, Rick Emerson Show, Hi Concept Thursday, how do you know you're in a dive bar? Well, this is really not going well today. Hi, uh, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, how do you know you're in a dive bar?
7: There's a bunch of douchebags in the corner talking about how they're the pimp squad.
5: That's two. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, how do you know you're in a dive bar?
1: A uh, toaster oven instead of a cook.
5: No, that and I've been in bars oh, like yeah. that where they got the full on toaster. And it's like a one size fits all kind of cooking thing. No matter what you order, it goes into the same nasty ass oven. All right. No, no. Yes, good sir. one. Well done. Thank you. Hi, Concept Thursday. How do you know you're in a dive bar? Uh,
9: you gotta have pictures of locals on
5: the wall. You gotta have what? What?
9: Pictures of locals on the wall.
5: Totally. Locals, mm-hmm. uh, constant drinkers, and sometimes, like at my father's place, Which is sort of my gold standard for all this. Uh, You got like uh, pictures taken back in the 70s. You know what? It's like a, it's like a, it's some guy's retirement party, and it's like him and all his big, sideburned 70s friends drinking.
6: You know what else is always there? It's those um, nut dispensers. The ones that have never been cleaned in, like, 30 years. Exactly. It's, like tons of grubby fingers have gone into, like, a little <laughs> dispenser hole. And they just always refill them off the top until, like, uh, some of the old ones just are always in there, and you can't even really see inside because it's covered in
9: stickers.
5: Completely. Uh, all right. Hi, you're on the, uh, you're on the Rick recovery Show. Hi, concept Thursday. How do you know you're in a dive bar?
9: How about that dark uh, pleather uh, boot that you sit in that you stick to, and when when you try to get up, and they're always uh, they always got those you know like that old fashioned button that comes down, and and the feet are always moving back and forth underneath. Yeah, completely. Well, That's and it's what I know,
5: and it's like and it's it's like uh, it's what Douglas Copeland would call the diamond tufted leatherette, uh, you know, and it's got like the leatherette is there, and it's sort of uh, it, it's got like layers, you know, in other words, like it's almost like. It's like layers of, of leatherette or vinyl or something that've been put over itself, and then you're right. And then if you're in the booth, the middle of the booth is always, like, worn through, not just to, like, the underneath, but to the spring.
9: Yeah, to the spring. And, like, uh, the old Waddles, the duck, that, uh, it, was, it was the classic, and it sucks that they shut it down, but that yeah. was the classic dive bar in in, in Portland. For- right? For, for a long time.
5: Thank you. Thank ever. you, sir. We'll do like one more bank here. High Concept Thursday. How do you know you're in a dive bar? Well,
9: I took my pickled egg comments, but also the pickled sausages, Irish flags, crooked tables, Sarah Dillon, or.
5: <laughs> hey, that was good. That was a great call there. Also, I do love
6: making a dive bar.
5: What are those things, those like red hot mamas? You know what I'm talking about? The little bright red sausages that are floating in brine. They're bright red.
6: I've never seen those.
5: I think they're called red hot mamas. Uh, not, not as a little smoky? Not as, no, no, no. Bigger than a little smoky. Smaller than like a kielbasa. About like maybe four inches, something like that. Uh, bright red, like clearly dyed, and then they're sort of spicy, but then they're floating in a brine. They're, they're horrific. All right. Three more. Hi, you're on The Rick Emerson Show. How do you know you're in a dive bar? Thank you. Two more. How do you know? I think everybody might be just from the dive bar before they call here. Hi, you're on The Rick Emerson Show. How do you know you're in a dive bar?
9: Yeah, you see Rick and Joni over in the corner working on the script for Remote Control 2.
5: Thank you. That's good. All right, we'll do one more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. How do you know you're in a dive bar?
7: Ham's beer posters with the
1: old bear on it.
5: Oh, totally. No, no, no. The uh, Or like the, the crudely animated, you know, those beer signs that are lit up and they plug in and it looks like the waterfall's really moving. Oh, yeah, the
8: Olympia beer one.
5: And it, yeah, and it's like, and the Ham's thing is always like the big cartoon bear that looks like a huge Sylvester the cat. Right. Yeah. It was yeah. like my dad built a bar in our house, of course, because we were hicks. And it was like the pride of my dad's, like his whole existence, that we actually had a plug-in functioning Ham's Beer sign with a simulated waterfall over the bar in our home.
6: And there's a bar that I go to that has not one, but two giant Ham's Bears in either yeah. corner that has like a, a platform or, or, you know, like a plate race. It's to from on. the
5: land of sky blue water, Sarah. Ham's mm-hmm. the Beer Refreshing. Ham's the Beer Refreshing. Ham's. Back after this. Why, hello, it's the Rear Emerson radio program. It's 503 733 Join us tomorrow and I guess we'll include Aaron, geek in the city, Duran. Uh, for the latest on Rename 42nd, he's also got a truly wonderful top five. Uh, I guess he was at Dragon Con. Like uh, you know, it was like a, like a role-playing convention or something. Some nerd fest. Uh, and so he polled all the dudes at Dragon Con about the top five metal songs that they would want playing during a and d game. So it's, uh, it's pretty great.
6: Did he send you that picture that he took in the Larry Craig stall? No. Yeah, he sent me what? a text message picture. Oh, I, you know, when I accidentally deleted all my text messages last night. That
5: tells me anything. I
6: Took a couple pictures in the Larry Craig stall.
5: That's so great. I well, wonder there's a plaque or something there. <laughs> all right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, your personal savior, Tim Riley.
7: And now, so, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim
4: Riley. How? Seattle still set to put a 20 cent per bag fee on disposable grocery bags in effect next year. Sharon Neese of the American Chemistry Council says plastic grocery bags are really good for the environment.
2: It takes 70% less energy to produce. It produces 50% less greenhouse gases. It uses 6% of the water that paper uses. It generates 80% less waste.
5: Wait, so... I don't understand. So she—oh, never mind.
4: Four plastic bags.
5: I was just gonna say I'm backing up off. I'm getting off this this off ramp right now because I don't want to start the whole discussion again. But she's saying in her, she's—but she's plastic
4: bags are good for the environment.
5: And she's saying, but she works for some plastics company.
4: The American Chemistry Council.
5: Did she get on the ground floor of that industry? All right. One word, Benjamin. All right.
4: They really don't clog uh, landfills, as
5: we've been told.
2: Ninety-one percent of your citizens say they reuse and recycle those bags.
5: Well, that's true. I mean, I have to say, in terms of, I don't know about recycling, I don't recycle anything, but in terms of reusing, mm-hmm. uh, I get plastic bags at the uh, the Safeway, and I use those to, uh, to clean up after my dog. They
4: so. make great toys, too. This month, families all over the nation who own dogs will celebrate the American Kennel Club's Responsible Dog Ownership Day.
11: Throughout the month of September, there's going to be more than 600 events nationwide, free events that you can bring your dog to and, you know, learn what it means to be a responsible owner, see great demonstrations, talk to experts.
4: Please explain the Responsible Dog Owner Pet Promise.
11: The AKC Responsible Dog Owner Pet Promise is a, sort of a pledge to your dog about what it means to be a responsible dog owner. And it's just 10, 11,
4: 12 tips on how to know that you're doing what's right for your dog.
5: A pledge to your dog? Yeah. All right.
4: And i pretty good. Dick Cheney, as far away from the Republican convention as possible,
5: he is now in the Ukraine. Is that true? Yes. Did he even speak? He, he spoke in Georgia today. Okay, but not... Because, you know, there was that whole thing where the... The convention got all, uh, you know, sort of reconfigured because of the hurricane. And so they ended up, Bush was there, allegedly live, Mm -hmm. really taped, uh, via satellite with fake applause. But Cheney just got totally blown out. Mm -hmm. Excellent. You know, somebody's going to get punished for that. He's going to find some way to make somebody pay for that omission.
4: Down for the top five. Here's
5: your top five for Thursday on the Rick Emerson radio program. Three,
4: two, one,
10: fire.
8: Counting is marvelous, counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness, counting is ecstasy, I love to count,
4: don't you? Ladies and germs,
5: here's Tim Riley with your top five.
4: And as we recap a momentous night for both the Republican Party and vice presidential politics, we remember the last and first moment that something so groundbreaking occurred. It was at the Democratic National Convention of 1984. And Geraldine Ferreira was nominated for vice
5: presidency. What, what, 24 years ago? Yeah, Yeah, 24. Jesus.
4: These are the top five songs from that week. July 19th, 1984. Honorable mention goes to the Jacksons and Mick Jagger for State of Shock.
5: By the way, I should tell you that almost all these songs today are terrible.
6: Darn, I thought they were going to be good.
5: No. There's like one and a half songs that are good. Sounds a lot like Weird Al's UHF. I wonder which came first. So this is that's Mick Jagger, sounding like only Mick Jagger can. So this was, I think, as a prelude to the Jacksons' Victory Tour. That thing it was like, in the sort of it was in the wake of Thriller. And I think the Jackson family pressured Michael into like, like get like getting him off the uh, the breadline, you know, by taking him out on tour. You know, it's not like Tito's out there making his own money. So they were like, come on, Michael, take us on tour. And so they they didn't call it the Jackson 5. I think they just called it the Jacksons, because I think Janet was part of it, too, and maybe LaToya. And they did this terrible album that I think was just called the Jacksons' Victory. And this was the big single, and it's... And Michael Jackson is really the selling point here. It's not like anybody was buying a record because Jermaine Jackson's singing. So this is the Jacksons singing with Mick Jagger. It, oh, it's just like a whole collection of vocal ticks.
10: <laughs> this
5: is a. It's a terrible song. It's a waste of vinyl.
6: I've never even heard
10: this. No, it's it. awful.
5: I mean, it's just a whole bunch of, uh, sort of cliched mannerisms from the both. It's just Jackson going woo and Mick Jagger going ah, and that's it. I mean, that's all it is for like four minutes. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Number five, the partner Sisters, Jump for My Love. This is another terrible song. Does it sound like it's in like a Clairol commercial or something? I think fabric soft.
4: It's
5: an awful song. You know that sounds a little bit like Mannheim Steamroller there in the background. A little fresh air Christmas happening back there.
10: Yeah.
5: The hey, these are terrible. You're lying. This is awful. It's an awful yeah. top five. I, you know what? But I didn't cherry pick it. I, because you know Geraldine Ferraro made history and uh, irritated my father by being nominated vice president. So I wanted to go back and commemorate that moment. And this is this is what This is what Americans were listening to. This is the effect that Ronald Reagan had on the country. He made us think this was good. The song is pointless. There's no need for this song to exist. No. This just sounds like the bad opening credit song to some sort of terrible, like, made-for-USA comedy drama. It really does sound like Chip Davis. Jim Riley.
4: Number four, Billy Idol, Eyes Without a Face.
5: This song sucks. This is a terrible song. I don't know why this song was ever a hit. I don't dislike Billy Idol. He's, you know, he's got some song everybody really likes, even some of his lesser known uh, efforts like the poorly named cyberpunk album which was actually not not that bad. This is an awful song.
10: One more One more
5: A question I wish to seriously pose is this. Who feels the need ever to go home and find this song and put it on and listen to it? Has anybody in this room ever said to themselves, "You know what I need right now is to hear Eyes Without a Face" by Billy Idol? This is, this is
8: what'd you say? This is number four. Yeah. This
5: is the top five single in this country. And by the way, can we all just say it? This is a ripoff of Drive by the Cars. This is Who's Gonna Drive You Home by Rick Casick. song without a point or
6: an end. It's like putting me to...
5: I Seriously, it's like Muzak. All right, I'm sorry. Tim, go ahead.
4: Number three, Ray Parker Jr., Ghostbusters.
5: This is a good song. Stolen from Huey Lewis, but good nonetheless. It's a bouncy little number even today. Good for the kids. Here's a little uh, little story about this song. So, I was going to Catholic school when this movie and song came out. And there was like the, whatever it is, like drill team or whatever they're called. You know, some girls would do like a little, uh, you know, like a synchronized dancing, prancing thing or whatever. You know, to some song. And this was, and of course, this was the biggest movie of that year, 84. Huge hit. And so the drill team at my Catholic school was going to do a routine to this song, to Ghostbusters. And at the last moment, it was disallowed because the nun heard the song, and that line about an invisible man sleeping in your bed was deemed too overtly sexual. Come on. It was scandalous.
4: I ain't afraid of no ghost.
5: Top five songs from July nineteenth, nineteen
4: eighty four. Number
5: two, two, two. Bruce Springsteen, Dancing in the Dark. Another bad song. Sarah probably likes this.
6: I don't mind it. I never really listened to it very much, so it doesn't really annoy me.
5: And and the only reason I said that, by the way, is not any reflection of music today because I saw you bobbing your head a little bit to it as it started.
6: This is the video that this Courtney Cox. Is
5: Courtney Cox. Isn't it? Hey, here's the thing. It's not a bad song. It's just that synthesizer line that bugs me. It doesn't sound at all like a Bruce Springsteen song. You gotta wonder if this was like his big attempt at a crossover sellout.
4: This for people snapping their fingers and their butts around in jeans.
5: Totally. This sort of sounds like maybe the house music that they would play at the Republican convention, trying to get down with that rock and roll. I mean, it's not a bad composition. It's just the actual instruments on it. It doesn't sound at all like Bruce Springsteen. It's sort of weird. Like, if you were to remove the vocal track from this and ask people, who is this? I don't think anybody would have ever guessed this was Bruce Springsteen. It doesn't sound like anything else he's ever done. Counting on the top five songs from the week of Geraldine Ferraro's nomination, July 19th, 1984. Tim, what might number one be? Number one is Prince When Doves Cry. There you go. You can't be bad about this. Alright, we ended strong. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley. Greatest newsmen in history. of The world back at four, five, six, and seven. Top of the hour, all the way through. Like us. When we come back, we will announce the winner of today's punchline contest. Uh, don't go anywhere. Like us at three. Michael O'Mara show at seven. We return after this. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, 503-733-2970. Join us tomorrow, and I guess we'll include Aaron Duran uh, and Lisa Desjardins on her final uh, day of covering the Republican convention. And then uh, I guess things sort of calm down until the uh, Democratic or, uh, Democratic until the um, Republican-Democratic face-off in the debates. Uh, the vice presidential debate, I guess, it has been like 39 days or something. So I don't know. We'll figure. There's a schedule somewhere. I don't know where it is. Uh, all right. So let's do the uh, we'll do the punchline winner here in just a moment. Uh, and then we will do the Glorious Bastard of the Week, and then at that point we'll uh, probably be finished. All right. uh, Tomorrow, I'm not even really sure what tomorrow's punchline or joke is going to be. You'll have to check the uh, website later. You go to RickEmerson.com later. You can find out what that is. We're going to be giving away uh, Dennis Miller tickets uh, tomorrow, and then next week as well. He's going to be live at Spear Mountain Casino. Uh, Today's pair of Dennis Miller tickets for his Friday, September 12th show. The lead-in to the joke is, a naked blonde walks into a bar with a poodle under one arm and a two-foot salami under the other. She lays the poodle on the table. Bartender says, I suppose you won't be needing a drink. The naked lady says, I'm sorry. No, I've screwed it up. And the poodle says, she's fine, but if I have to rescue the skinny guy one more time, they're both going home. They go, well, I've just mangled the punchline. You get it. There you go. You and got it.
4: It was good. It was good. So
5: there you go. So that is the winner, uh, largely because it made Sarah laugh out loud and then made you laugh out loud again like ten minutes later as you were walking to the kitchen. So there you go. I think it's kind of hilarious. Uh, How long do we have here before everything ends?
6: I look about a minute and a half.
5: All right. Then uh, we'll take some calls here, but also let me do this. Greetings and salutations, Justin zucconi from Portland. You are being addressed at this moment because you, yes, you, have been selected as the AM970 Glorious Bastard of the Week with all the rights and privileges that entails. In addition to the envy of your fellow man, you'll receive a bountiful cornucopia of swag from the AM970 pile of crap, including the Bodyguard, double feature on DVD. It's the Bodyguard and the Bodyguard 2 starring Tony Jaa. Available from Magnolia Home Entertainment now. You've also won the wonderful knowledge that for at least this one week, you are just a little bit better than everyone else. Enjoy your newly elevated status, and don't hesitate to lord it over the less fortunate. Thank you for listening, Justin Zuccioni from Portland. You are the Glorious Bastard of the Week. Sign up to become an AM 970 Glorious Bastard at 970.am. All right. Uh, let's see. I don't know what we're doing here. What do we got? There? All right. Let's do this, and then, uh, I don't know, maybe we can sneak in one more of you real quick. Hi, you're on The Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, how's it going? What do you got?
9: Hey, uh, Dancing in the Dark, funny story. Uh, apparently, uh, Bruce Springsteen wrote that song after a record executive asked him to do a song that was Prince-like. Really? It would be a big hit. Yeah, interesting. and then it turns out that When Doves Cry kept it from being a number one.
5: That's this. <laughs> okay. That's irony. I don't even care if it's true. I'm going to repeat that as though it was true. All right, good man. Thank you. All right, do I got hey. time for one more?
6: Oh, that was so good! And yesterday it kind of shot us in the foot. All right, we
5: we'll just leave it there if we want. Let's
6: just thank all a lot right. of people.
5: Thank you, sir. That's a great call. Uh, all right, we want to thank uh, CNN Radio Correspondent Dick Giuliani, Steve uh, Dick Giuliani. <laughs> At the end of the day, Nick Giuliano, Steve Kastenbaum, Lisa Desjardins, and from the National Enquirer, Dorothy Carcasseri, uh, join us tomorrow. And I guess we'll include again Lisa Desjardins on her last day of convention coverage, and uh, also Aaron Duran from GeekintheCity.com. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah X Dillon for AM 970. The talker in the newsroom. It's Tim Riley on the phones. Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper. Dave's in. Web mistress is Bridget from upstairs. Uh, director of engineering Brian Jones, and of course CBS Radio Portland marketing guru Susan. Don't with me Reynolds. As always, thank you for listening. Be safe. Watch out for snakes. Like us next, Mike O'Mara Show at 7. See you tomorrow at 10 uh, for the recap, 11 for the show. Bye now.